OTB GAA. And he threw his famous patented dummy hand pass because he's a big handballer with his right hand. And I literally moved into another parish. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode. 7.30, OTB AM, you are uh, joining us live, live, live from uh, our brand new studio and I hope you're hearing me all right there. You're uh, looking well, lads. How are you keeping? Not too bad yourself, Keeping well, Adrian. I'm, uh, I'm offended on so many levels this morning and um, that's one of them. I decided to... Yeah. It is chronic, Shane. Jeez, that looks great. That, uh, uh, wow. This what is going to be for, for the first seen while is the that. Wow. So for, for context for people at home wondering why we... Um, looked like this I guess Colm I had a conversation with Adrian the other day at uh, we had a work event and yeah I was wearing a colourful colourful shirt people have seen it on air the other day but um, yeah Adrian didn't like it he's not a man for a, well it was chronic not a man for let's flamboyance face, let's yeah. face it it was absolutely chronic so we figured listeners and viewers we would offend Adrian in the highest possible way this morning by, by wearing um, two of our uh, fancier shirts I guess Colm you could say yeah I, I will say Colm has definitely won that uh, battle of I think so you know what? Yours is a bit. Your, your shirt. Were you, were you putting this on on the basis that it was like more outrageous than the shirt you were in the See, other day? See, this is the thing. I do it quite commonly. I wear a bad shirt often enough. Now I've got little roses in front of a, a kind that of that shirt is way better pattern. than the one you were wearing the other day. Okay, right. I, I have I have others, Adrian. Don't right. worry. We've plenty of Fridays to work together. That on the other that hand, that is really that's actually lovely, and it suits your personality, yeah. suits your presenting style, suits the show. This isn't. I, I think was going for. I was going to, to offend Adrian, but he's after telling me it was better. Than I know it does no, offend Adrian. It does. It does. Offend, it does offend Adrian. It's one hundred percent offend Adrian. I love columns, but thanks very much. Yeah. yeah, I got it there on a stag, you know, and uh, well, it was kind of a tropical theme. Mm. And then I, I wore it, and then people are like, "Oh, you could, you could just wear that." Mm. And I love an orange, you know. And I was rushing into the studio this morning, and I didn't have time to eat my orange because Jojo was like, "You have forty seconds." Right. And I had a decision to make: Do I want the orange, or do I want to go live on OTB AM? Yeah. Are you just happy with the decision I made? Who said to you that? you could just wear that because whoever that is <laughs> well I'm 33 like, but you know, that, that first of all that helps so I could wear it myself because he's an adult and then I was talking to uh, Shane there yesterday and usually we would say like, what are you going to wear tomorrow mm. what are you going to wear on the show tomorrow fashion yeah yeah we have about a really? five we have, we have five minute powwow um, yeah, yeah. what do you want to wear tomorrow what colour do you want to go for okay. and then we were like oh Adrian's going to be in town and so we thought you were going to wear your white shirt PowerPoint presentation okay. for today the white shirt only comes out for Damien Brown it appears yes exactly yeah. correct yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but you went for the kind of Connemara look and uh, it's quite nice it's quite nice you're very much like the, the straight man mm. and uh, I think you play quite well and as I said to you last Friday it's all up to you to entertain the masses you get the Friday feeling we're in a new studio temporary studio just for today is the last day and Adrian take it away entertain yeah. now I mean, I I, uh, I look forward to twenty five minutes time or twenty minutes time when uh, we I, I can sort of I feel as if I need to wear sunglasses and uh, the fact that Chen's shirt is not even the most offensive thing in the studio this morning is quite an achievement. Now, <laughs> yeah, Stephen yeah. Gerrard has been for the people who are waking up this morning. Good morning to you and uh, delighted you could, you could join us this morning. Stephen Gerrard's been sacked. He was fired last night um, after uh, Villa went down to Fulham and uh, he finds himself uh, without a job this morning and. Um, I mean, it's no great surprise. People have been talking about it for a while now that things just weren't working out for him. Obviously, within a, a whisker of the bottom three, or as Dean Saunders put it this morning, that uh, Villa fans won't accept uh, Villa being 19th in the Premier League. Uh, they're 17th. But regardless, um, I think his point still holds that, you know, they, they, uh, they see themselves as a 7th, 8th, ninth position club. 
and it clearly like there was some chat that maybe he would hang on until Brentford at the weekend and mm. um, we'll, you know we would see what happened at that point but it became pretty obvious last night that that just wasn't <laughs> going to happen and it was the brevity of the statement that came out last night yeah. Aston Villa thanking Stephen for his hard work and his time at the club and pretty much not much else and also how quick it was after the full yeah. whistle I really thought they'd wait till this morning that's what I expected this is very much kind of pang of um, the first time Jose Mourinho left Chelsea yeah. was I think it was close to midnight they had drawn with uh, Rosenberg the night before yeah. and it was a bizarre time to depart and that was so seismic when Mourinho left for the first time less so this time with Steven Gerrard and Aston Villa it's been coming a long time and we were talking yesterday Shane about like oh will we do the Villa piece this morning like should we mm. concentrate it and we thought I know a way to Fulham like there's a good chance to get a point there or something but happens. I mean just to be so comprehensively beaten by Fulham it's Fulham's biggest Premier League win in almost exactly nine years it's the first clean sheet they've kept all season and it, you know 3-0 was the very least that they deserved they absolutely dominated the game and for like Gerrard it's two wins in 12 games this season and I was trying to think back to myself without looking it up first when was Gerrard appointed I thought it was so much longer ago than it actually it was only last November he didn't see the full 12 months Uh, look I thought they were promising starts for him like Philip Coutinho signing got the best out of Coutinho initially do you remember when they played Manchester United at Villa Park Mm. and Coutinho was brilliant that game like fabulous performance I thought oh Gerrard's going to get the best out of Coutinho and I really wanted to see what he could do as a manager but I, genuinely I thought going back a year when he was performing well at Rangers and won the league and you know stopped Celtic doing the 10 in a row I was thinking to myself Aston Villa I understand the temptation but what's he realistically going to achieve at Villa like what's the best case scenario at Villa Yeah. and so I kind of thought to myself maybe stay at Rangers for a couple of more years rack up a few more titles and your CV's getting better and better on paper and then another possibly higher job will come along I thought he jumped quite soon maybe it was a fear that I'm not going to get this opportunity again yeah. and I genuinely did think that at the time thought he started well but faded so badly didn't he it was also that Celtic were on that trajectory so with Ange that you're kind of thinking he and Gerard probably realised maybe Celtic are going to win the next couple of titles here they're, they're probably a better team and, and clearly are a better team than mm. Rangers at the minute yeah like listen to Mick McCarthy our own Mick McCarthy last night in the show he was having a bit of a an existential crisis like when that Ming's own goal went in for the third you're just like this is it's, it obviously has to happen tonight um, yeah the brevity of the statement was was it was almost like a comedy bit it was funny to read the statement that short because it was like if they could have got less words in they would have they would have done so um, like it was like a tweet it, it, it was <laughs> character like, limit character, yeah. but then you, you kind of think apparently he got a he got his own car home from the match last night or a, or a, um, a limousine kind of paid for by the club so we didn't have to sit in the coach and uh, tell the players and I'm sure he has spoken to the players since but you'd wonder like like where does Gerard go from from here where, like what what's his level now is he a cha- he's probably a championship manager <laughs> at best it's a good, it's a good, actually, very good question. I can see him back in Scottish football. I think it really well, yeah. suited him. I think it suits his managerial style, which is very much like um, accountability on the players' part. And I think one of his last musings to the media was that oh, his attacking players need to do more in a very kind of, uh, I suppose, style from ten or twenty years ago, where like I can only do so much as the manager, yeah. and it's kind of up to the players to do it. Like you'd hear a lot of pundits of his era say that in TV now, where it's like we're in a totally different era of football, where players tr- thrive on. Deep detail they love detail like you hear the reason that Jaden Sancho struggled at United is because of the lack of detail given to him mm. whereas traditionally you would think of forward flair players like oh just go out and play and I do feel Gerard's that style of manager where if the results aren't coming you have nothing really to fall back on because there's no overriding philosophy of football but it's, it, when you look at the squad on paper like when, when John McGinn got the captaincy there was a bit of controversy over it and the way it was handled with Tyrone Mings but I mean McGinn's been absolutely brutal 
Tyrone Mings mm. has had a shocking season. Coutinho is not the Coutinho of old. Um, and, but the and thing the, is, he's he's lowered the bar so much. Yeah, right. That, how much and there's a lot of chat about who's going to come in. Like some of the names that have been linked, I'm like, oh, oh, really? But who are you thinking there? The name, like, like the like Spashino, Yeah, Tuchel, crazy. If you look at the if you look at the um, the betting, like Tuchel is on. The, there's there's a long list of names there. And look, at, I don't know. It could even end up Thomas Frank is obviously one of the names. Been uh, it'll be Sean Dyche. That's, it'll have to be Sean. Sean Dyche, obviously another one. Um, but he's lowered the bar so much that for the new person coming in, it's like great. Like. Tyrone Mings, Matty Cash, John McGinn. Yeah. Like that, what, the job that's required there is they, we know they're good footballers. Yeah. They have so a good, good squad. They have a good team. Boost, yeah. Give them a bit of a boost of confidence. And like the one thing that you would have hoped, and like it, it, the point that you make about Gerard's comments about the players is kind of interesting in the sense that you all, you've kind of feel that mo- most managers have that thought anyway. Mm. Like they're like, oh, Gigi let me down today, or, you know, you could have done a bit better and like you're making me look bad or whatever, yeah. right? You would think most football managers are sort of of that. That um, mold, particularly the, from the from the era maybe that he came through, but you can't be on the TV every week saying you know calling players out. Yeah. The whole public nature of the Tyrone Mings thing, like he never really considered the impact that that was going to have. The on PR him. battle. So it was I gonna do have. think that somebody, whoever it is that comes in, will really like you're going to get. You will get the initial uh, bounce, but I do think that like well, you know, that's you, what he gave them. We're asking like, what could he possibly achieve at Aston Villa? I think. You could totally understand why he went to Aston Villa. And, you know, on their best season, they're going to make it into the Europa League. You know, particularly- yeah, but there's a ceiling with that success because, for me, he, it wasn't so much Aston Villa themselves, it was what he was already doing. So at Rangers, you basically 50-50 chance of winning the league every year. You know? I know, but like... And so you can rack up, you so, can rack up so, the titles so, and it looks great so in the CV. who spent his entire career, you know, hooked around, you know, he's this winner. Yeah. That's never going to be enough. Like, but you're you're talking about the squad and the players. Like, if you're a manager that comes in, the back four of Young, Mings, mm. Kansa, Bednarek. That's a relegate. That's a relegation back four. Do you think so? Yeah, that, that that's not that's not good enough. To, Mings, like, twenty twenty two. Fair enough. Well, yeah, this on form. Um, and and actually, Young, look, he's probably been one of the better players, ironically enough. But yeah. he's not. He's not good enough to push team onto Europe anymore. He's not the Ashley Young we used to see. I'd be seriously concerned. But that's my okay. So that would be my argument about Jared's management style. I would say he would agree with you privately. But yeah. my back four is not good enough. But I think the point of modern management is that it's it's kind of irrelevant about the individual players. Mm. They all have a certain level that they can get to. Yeah. And then it's about the management getting more out of them. So, for example, Graham Potter at Brighton. His back four probably wasn't much better than Villa's, really, on paper. And the thing is that Potter got more out of them. Mm. And he's actually probably the argument against what I was saying about going to Villa is that, Usher, what can he achieve at Villa realistically? (laughs) And Potter just hit such a sweet spot for the first six weeks of this season that got on that Chelsea gig. Because it was only a year ago where Brighton's fans were booing Potter at the end of the game. Remember, he was shaking his head to the camera, like, what are you booing for? Because they couldn't score a goal. And Potter had this amazing start to the season this year. And it coincided with Tuchel being shafted from Chelsea so it's all about timing it's like it's like Wall Street like football is like supply and demand and at that moment in time Potter was perfect for Chelsea and Jared went the other way I almost think there's an argument as well like when you talk about managers making a connection with, with fans like we, we were talking on the show yesterday about uh, Thomas Frank and Graham Potter speaking uh, you know pre-match the other night together and asking each other questions which was unheard of mm. and unseen in the Premier League they're creating a connection they both have connections with their fans Gerard never had a connection with the Villa supporters. Yeah. Like he never, he never even seemed like he was trying to. He almost had a barrier up, and you could tell it was the the polished PR Stephen Gerrard. 
that's a problem. Like, um, they're they're a bit. They're, I, you're absolutely spot on. I think that there um, are big comparisons with Roy Keane in this whole thing as well. In that, like, you know, you look at that first couple of years as the manager, albeit at Rangers, where like they go on that unbelievable run, yeah. beaten for the season. They're like top in their Europa League group, <laughs> bridge like uh, uh, bridge the ten year gap since the last one. They're like this big level of success, and then suddenly, quickly. The wheels come off, yeah. and he's scrambling. And like, I don't know where Stephen Gerrard goes <coughs> from here. I do think that like there is that there is a lot of comparisons with the Keane stuff. Um, you know, maybe your initial reaction for somebody like Stevie G because he's been like the main man at those clubs. I know he did some Liverpool Academy stuff. Mm. With, like, wouldn't it be a recommendation for him to go off and be an assistant somewhere? Yeah, I or think so. Try and play his trade, or like yeah. be a League One manager for a while, or be a Championship manager for a while, which never seemed to bother Roy Keane. And he obviously went about that with Ireland and with Villa. Yeah, it killed him though. Killed his managerial career. It killed him. Like it didn't help. It didn't help him get managed. Didn't help him get managerial career. I don't think that killed it. it. Sorry, yeah, that didn't singularly do it, but I don't think it helped. Yeah, but there's ego there. You can't, how can you go from being a Premier League manager exactly. at Stephen Gerrard's level to then being a, a cha- either a Championship manager or an assistant in the Premier League? Well, if you're a prospective employer and you see that okay, he was previously a manager of a Premier League side and now he's an assistant or first team coach at another club, it's like that doesn't fill me with confidence yeah. and that he's going to inspire a group again as a manager because players like will read into that and think, well, you know, well, you became an assistant. So I'm not saying that's stunk, right. Stunk I'm saying that's realistic. Though. Who's going to be queuing up to give Stevie G a job anyway? I think I wouldn't be surprised if maybe not by the end of the season, but maybe this time next year if Jurgen Klopp gives him a job at Liverpool if he allows him back in and just part of the coaching oh, staff not so the assistant Jurgen Klopp you're like not the first team coach no he might there might be a certain now I, I, if Phil well, Egan's listening to this downstairs he's what, going mental it's yeah, like keep Stevie G out of the club I know yeah. he thinks that way and I'm maybe sure, others I'm do sure, I'm sure all the Liverpool fans who you know when, when Gerard got the Villa job and they were like okay this is great this Next is, you step. know, all, remember when he got the yeah, job totally the conversation I, it's a stepping stone to Liverpool he, he couldn't be further from oh, Liverpool that's why he took that must have been a huge reason why he took the Aston Villa job if I do well here, yeah. Klopp's going to leave. Because at the time, a year ago, there was a different conversation around Klopp mm-hmm. that he might leave sooner than we think. Well, he was out of contract you know? and stuff like that. So, it, like, you've got to bring it back to November last year about the thought process then. It's not, it's not surprising for me how it's worked out because I do think his managerial style is so limited. Yeah. And it's based on, like... But he, he kind of reflected like, who he was as a player. It's kind of an all-or-nothing approach mm-hmm. and there's very little subtlety to it. So, like, okay, who's got better under Gerrard? I'm not sure. McGinn's become more central, but as you say, he's been very poor this season. Coutinho started off flying out of the traps, which yeah. kind of goes to your point about, was it Roy Keane you mentioned at Sunderland, like flew out of the traps as well. There's kind of a, they kind of sprint a marathon. That's, that's kind of Gerard as a, mm. as a manager. He sprints when he should be thinking of a longer term approach. Mm. And I think there was a bit of maybe insecurity too, that he comes out and he's very critical of the players and media, not afraid to say what he thinks. And maybe that's, you know, to cover up for, a lack of sophistication in his own coaching maybe it's that's re- the theory maybe that's in him anyway but yeah. that's what it felt, feels like to me I thought it was almost a redeeming feature for him in some ways The fact, that even last night the fact that he, he came out and uh, I guess he has to spoke quite openly and was asked about the, the fans booing you tonight he said obviously on a personal level it's really disappointing and hard to hear um, uh, you got the you got the sense from the post match interview that he knew he was going. Ah, yeah. it, it was almost. There's that photograph as well that's on the back of some of the papers. It's absolutely <laughs> brutal. <laughs> Just year. writing was on the wall. Gerard on the brink, but uh, it is uh, that photograph is going to dog him for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, like it's it's what two it, two wins in seven months against current Premier League teams. Um, and and they're like when you look at players like Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings, we haven't even mentioned like Ings went from scoring 22 goals the season before last, 12 goals last season. To this season, I mean, 
can't he, can't, he can't just can't hit the target even never mind score a goal um, Remy Gard was arguably a better Villa manager than Steve oh Carroll. that's a big call I mean no do you remember Dwight, do you remember Dwight York went on TV and was like I used to be manager not Remy Gard Remy Gard <laughs> yeah. you, know you, you know you're bad uh, the but, comments are coming in like a, a few Villa fans are, t- are commenting lads and they're happy. absolutely delighted this morning yeah well I mean the, the thing I, I also noticed about the statement lads was was the fact that it was a club spokesman says and like you know the Christian Perslow sitting in the background Johan Lange the sporting director as well and you're like rarely you see a sporting director or a, or a CEO lose their job at the same time as a manager but in, in Villa's instance there's a, there's a solid 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 argument for that because we've spoken to Villa journalists on the show before and there is a lot of um, antipathy I guess towards Perslow uh, mm. and his role in the mm. whole uh, down, downward slide of the club because if, if Villa do get relegated I'm not going to say, say they will because they'll get the new manager bounce now you'd imagine before the World Cup depending on who comes in but if they, if they were to go down they're the type of club who would struggle in the championship it would be ridiculous if they went down that, that squad's akin to West Ham's in 2003 when they had Joe Cole yeah. and Michael Carrick like that squad's too good to go down <laughs> if, like, if I'm starting a game of football manager in the morning and I have my choice of 20 Premier League clubs like they'd be in my top 10 to take over yeah, based on the talents they have like I think the one a real positive thing he did and maybe he wasn't directly responsible for this Gerard, but I'm sure he at least rubber stamped every decision was he signed quite well I think they actually brought in some really yeah. interesting attacking players like Leon Bailey last night was really ineffective on the right hand side but you get the right manager in there for him suddenly you have a seriously good player because again with Bailey he started well and that's what Gerard was able to bring there was kind of a sprint out the door <laughs> like give him hell like straight away which is Gerard as a player like Gerard as a player I'll take him by the scruff of the neck but there was no kind of long term plan Gerard was a living in the moment player yeah. and there were some amazing yeah. moments Mark Hogan says as a Villa fan thank God he's gone the worst tactical manager I've ever seen I think that there's an overstatedness about all this stuff as well like let's not get too carried away recency bias against yeah. him and like look uh, I was also interested like your comments earlier on come like it is possible for him to go off and figure stuff out and come back a better manager like it's not this doesn't need to be the end of it but he does need to be careful about take time off as well um, about how he gets around it I'll say a few, uh, couple more comments here as well uh, safe to assume that uh, Gerard will never manage Liverpool says Fergus Kyo. Mm. Uh, Yeah, four wins of 22 games shocking stats as Peter Lennon who also uh, says that Gerard was arrogant tactically incompetent and out of his depth the Roddy Collins of the Premier League which I know um, Roddy did it. Roddy didn't. Fair and Roddy, isn't it? Fair and Roddy. The arrogance is the thing that that's made people like you, you look yesterday and you see Liz Truss and, and Stevie G both losing their job and you're like, all right. People are rubbing their hands. They're like, you know, taking a bit of, uh, I, I guess. Joy oh, there in is it. a total glee about it. Total, like, um, because of Jerry's attitude. Griff says, "Geez, was there a fire that you had to borrow clothes for this morning show?" Um, Paul, I'll read out the positive comments. The, the flamboyant yeah. shirts. Mixed with Adrian's Clancy Brothers special is quite the combo. Thank you. Yeah, Adrian, you look like you, you like a pint of stout in front of the fire kind of job. I'm, I'm up for that. The yeah. fashion guard here on the way says Jim Sullivan. And also, by the way, uh, Latte Larry wondering if we're going to keep him updated on the cricket this morning. Ireland going well and on target. Yeah. They are uh, uh, going well and on target. Uh, West Indies 146 for five earlier. And in response now, Ireland 107 for one, 108 for one. Uh, and uh, Balburnie bowled a bit earlier on but starting mm. and Tucker at the crease so we will Laddie Larry keep you updated on that over the course of the morning Kirby Enthusiasm fan great to see yeah great to see. Americano uh, Adrian the Ronaldo stuff is also across the back yeah. pages this yeah. morning um, Ronaldo refused to play the headline says here United striker to fight Tan Hagen Spurs game um, this is uh, mounting up as a like I mean the the uh, latest scenario is he refused to come on as I saw we were all wondering what happened why did he leave a little bit earlier sent out a bad message but actually now it's just turned out that he refused to come on as a sub the other night he's facing a £1 million fine he's been banished from training with the senior squad he's not going to be in the squad for the Chelsea game and um, you know it just 
the whole point about hanging around at United or the links that of him to possibly leave United um, in the close season was that he was like waiting for this Champions League club to come in. Yeah. I mean, the longer it goes on, I'm just, why was he waiting around for a Champions League com- club to come in? He was never going to get Champions League football at United anyway. So why would he need to hang around to stink the joint out when, I mean, I don't know what Ten Hag saying to him, listen, you're not really going to be fully part of my plans if he knew fully the picture. But why not? Why is he hanging around to not play at a club that are not playing but in the Champions League it, when he could have gone to a club to play some football? If it was up to him, he wouldn't be hanging around. He'd be gone. It, he was 100% out the door himself. He just, mm. they just can't, like he, they couldn't find a club for him yeah. and then United wouldn't release him because it cost him too much money. If it was up to Ronaldo's the only party here who was like, I definitely want to go. I know, I mean, week. I'm thinking, to my, see, if they can let him go now because his contract expires next summer, so they can, if they let him go now, they can pay half his salary, so it's about £8 million, which is absolutely nothing for yeah. United. Like, they should do that. I suppose, look, they're, they're thinking for their own sake as well, as troublesome as he is, and there probably is no turning back now. This is like Carlos Tevez on the bench from Manchester City away to Bayern Munich, you know. Tevez did come back. He went golfing for a few months and came back. Can't see, I don't know if Ronaldo's a golfer, like, I don't know what he's going to do. But, like, the only thing you'd say about Ronaldo, right, and I'm very much pro getting him out of the club. Yeah. Like, he does give you a goal in the Europa League games, in the Leicester, I, I, in the Premier I League, and that's why they're probably like, well, we'll keep him just in case. I think, I think anybody who's been saying that up to this point has now said, Grant, that's it, that's enough. But I, I, I mean, to reach were, that point now. Were you excited when the, the club resigned him? Yeah, were 100%. You? Last summer. Yeah, but it, it, half the excitement was, was kind of because he was heading to Manchester City, and you're like, right, that, that was stopped, nipped in the bud because Ferguson got involved. Um, I think any United fans in terms of Ronaldo's previous legacy at the club would have been tarnished if he played for City understandably Is that really true? Well f- it seemed it seemed to have legs um, I, I, would have, I would have believed the evidence it was Jesus the, the biggest luck like ever anti- for City so they got well, maybe it was Haaland City playing chess, chess. Like, He's an anti or Ronaldo playing chess or Ronaldo, Ronaldo, Ronaldo yeah. you're going to say an anti-City he's an anti-modern footballer like yeah. there's no place for Ronaldo really yeah. well, like, who, it was, who wants him? It, it was a bit like uh, Todd, Todd Billy wanted him for, at Chelsea yeah, too, did, yeah. bring him in. But no? you, so you were excited when uh, the club re-signed them it was, it's a bit, it was a bit like New Year's wasn't it it was a bit like the countdown and then the the ten to one is the exciting part. That's when Ronaldo signed. Yeah. And then the Happy New Year is the rest of the And then you have the come down and slow. It's the first of January now. Point. <laughs> yeah. It's a, you know there's yeah, no, yeah. nowhere to go after that. And it like even though last season he was still their top scorer, twenty four goals in all competitions, eighteen in the Premier League, and that was great. But even through all of that, I thought this isn't right. Yeah. And that included a hat trick at home to Spurs and a three two win. Some great moments, great goals. I look like it just doesn't feel this doesn't feel right anymore. Yeah, his and the other thing to say is his statement last night on Instagram was pathetic. Like, he didn't apologise. He, he, not one word of apology, yeah. but also like remember in pre season the Rio Vallecano game in July, like. Ronaldo again left at half time walked out of the stadium apparently Ten Hag reprimanded him over that and said don't let this happen again mm. it's happened again and, and the thing about Ten Hag is and, and this is why United fans are all lumping rightly on, on Ten Hag's side is because first of all the team are playing well well they certainly did during the week but you don't mess with Ten Hag like there were stories from pre-season um, I remember there was, there was one club member and it's covered in the papers today where, where he had an issue a massive fallout with, with Ten Hag in the United training session and the next day it was like nothing had ever happened. That's mm. just what Ten Hag is like. Even in Perth in pre-season in front of loads of fans at an open training session, um, Ten Hag gave, gave a, one of the coaches the two fingers and basically said this isn't set up right. In front of everyone. And uh, he just doesn't care what people think. Mm. Whether you're a 
working at the canteen in Old Trafford or you're a Cristiano Ronaldo, mm. you're going to get reprimanded if you step out of line. And that's the thing about tonight. That's why Ten Hag is going to win this battle. Well, yeah, and, and the club have to take a stance now anyway. That's the thing. Yeah. Ronaldo has forced them to take a stance. Either you choose this guy or you choose this guy. And like Roy Keane was talking about it on Monday, Monday Night Football, was it last week where he was saying that like Ronaldo is, you know, the club have treated him really badly. But I have to say, I think that that's all gone now. That's, yeah. As a... As, he can't detach himself from the responsibility of walk, refusing to come on and walking off the pitch. Like I think at some point or not. But he will. I mean, he has a problem. Say. He has a problem with Ten Hag's coaching staff. He's going to have his side to the story. It'll be really interesting to see, like Ronaldo's biggest fans, like Roy Keane and many others, what they're going to say next time around. Because Keane might acknowledge, like, okay, he was wrong to do that. But there will one hundred percent be ah. a bot coming because that those type of players, 100%. like these, like mentality monsters, as Jurgen Klopp would call them, is like. They're so singular in their vision yeah. that they aren't like most people where they're, there's a lack of self-awareness, which has actually helped to propel them to this insane level of achievement. <laughs> That's the thing, the lack of self-awareness. Like Ronaldo thinks probably in his head, oh, I'll have loads of United fans on my side here. But if you look at the papers, like the Ronaldo effect, all the stats, when Ronaldo starts and when he doesn't. I mean, the team runs 10 kilometres less per game when Ronaldo doesn't or um, does start. And then goals per game, they have fewer points, they have goals against, they press less. Possession one per game in the attacking third, high turnovers. Every stat is worse off when Ronaldo starts. Yeah. So like he can't he can't win this. Mm. Like, there's no way Ronaldo can, can win this battle. And even though Anthony Martial is injury prone, the fact that he was dropped him for, for Chelsea this weekend speaks speaks volumes. Yeah. Uh, eight months left in his contract. I can't I can't see how, how he's going to see it out. We kind of allowed the shaking of the head when he came off against Newcastle because you're mm. kind of thinking, right, well, Ten Hag's excuse was uh, he's a striker, he didn't score, he's going to be shaking his head. Mm. That's not why he was shaking no. his head. But, I mean, we'll allow that. But it was the, what, what happened against Tottenham is... is uh, if it was any other player, you'd be, you'd be calling for well, head. Even, even from a potential suitor's point of view, it's like, uh, you know, we knew we were getting this player, like Colin was saying, not really, you know, in step with modern football. But... So we can swallow that because he's like one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, that's his attitude. So suddenly he's doing his own <laughs> brand of disservice. He started talking in the, in the, st- in the statement in, on Instagram last night about how, you know, he wants to be a leader and he came back into the club to be a leader to the younger players in the, in the squad. Well, like, what sort of example is that? Is that to, to Anthony Alanga, for example, didn't look too pleased coming up uh, at the end of the game the other night for whatever reason. I don't know what, what the situation was there. Hmm. Uh, with those players hugging him and Bruno Fernandes talking to him. Um, it's almost like they're they're kind of learning to to be petulant because mm-hmm. Ronaldo was there. I'd say Rashford's mm-hmm. not happy as well because Rashford's he's playing better than Ronaldo at the minute. That's a fact. That he's in the team mm-hmm. um, on merit. But I just I just I don't I don't know what he's he, he's probably thinking about the World Cup Ronaldo. Um, he doesn't want to be training with the kids or playing. He won't be playing under under twenty three games. It won't get to that level. But he needs games before the port the Portugal World Cup campaign. He's not going to really get them now. He, your Europa League games is his only real shout. I put you on the spot. Where's Cristiano Ronaldo playing his football second half of this season? Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Do you think so? Do you think he'll do that? I don't see that. Why would that in any way interest him? Besides, I understand racking up the goals and being the greatest Because he himself, at some yeah. level, must be aware that I'm not the player I was. I think he'll get Champions League football, but with a lower Champions League club, which club would be Brugge. fine by him. Yeah, mm. it'd be fine by him as long as he's he'd be playing the in the United Reserves. That's my uh, that's my prediction for the second. Would you, you cast, imagine him in the cast? reserves? Would you love a camera on that? <laughs> last um, talk about last night. I fully agree with them. Fergus Kio wondered if Ronaldo would agree to walk away without paying for the rest of his contract. It's not like he needs the money. I mean, I, that, that's, I, I, that's going to happen. And Frank wondering, we we'll leave it on this note for the minute. Morning, lads. Colm, uh, do you have a suitcase beside you? Quick dash to a four-hour queue in Dublin Airport. <laughs> oh, I'm going to Amsterdam next week. 
Yeah, I'd bring that Good chart point, with actually, you. Yeah. Well, while you're there, leave it there. It might do, yeah. My yeah. first time this in Amsterdam. There's a psychedelic-looking looking shirt. It'll do well over the so I would say yours is psychedelic. Mine's more good time. It Good is um, yeah. 7.58. Is it? It's Friday morning. You want to be AM. We'll save the audience from your shirt coming for now. Shane, I mean, whenever you want. Can you describe the shirts to the podcast? Listen. Yours is a picture of 40 oranges. Yeah. And a little green leaf 42. poking out of it. And it's, it's an eyesore. And Shane's is... Something I, my, I think my, I'm pretty sure my mother has a version of that at home. Curtains, it's Granny's curtains, like like the curtains at home. Yeah, I mean I don't know how to only take it off. It. It's uh, like my plan faded, was to take it off. No. Faded I, roses. I used to be like it's like a zebra pattern. Yeah, with a load of faded roses in the front of it. Shane, he's trying to be insulting, but I actually think he doesn't yeah, yeah, like yeah. old. I that am. My suspicion of it. He secretly likes them. That's what I mean. I just, yeah. He has to feel this persona that he has to criticise. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead there. OTBM brought to you by, uh, with Gillette in association with Movember, Effortless Shave, Magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. And here's what's coming up on the show for you this morning. We've got a stack show between now and 10 o'clock. Willie Marr is standing by the new Leash hurling manager. We'll get uh, Willie's thoughts on his plans for Leash in just a few moments' time. Ben Jacobs, football writer. We'll be talking to him, obviously, about Stevie G and uh, a few maybe... Uh, other bits and pieces besides uh, we'll let you know what's happening across the back pages after that Alan Quinlan will talk to us about obviously the Ireland squad this week small matter of Leinster Munster at Diviva on Saturday as well so we'll talk to Quinny about all of that and we'll get him to uh, pick his 15 and subs for the South Africa game from that squad that was named during the week and after we chatted with Damien Brown uh, last week and there was a brilliant reaction to what was ultimately a very honest piece from Damien after his um, 113 day row across the Atlantic uh, this week we're going to be joined by Fergus Farrell who you'll remember was uh, with us as well a few months back Fergus had started off the journey with Damien and then was forced to leave after 13 days so Fergus is going to join us live in studio at around 9 o'clock this morning so whatever it is from all of that and John Giles will uh, see us out this morning as well whatever it is from all of that um, you can feel free to drop us your comments and uh, for Lade Larry and everybody else is interested in it as well we'll keep you across the cricket as it uh, advances this morning so that's what's coming up but I said we'd start with hurling and that's exactly where we go we have the leash hurling manager Willie Marr on the line morning Willie Hi guys How are you doing? I'm sure you were uh, interested in our chat there about Stevie G and the uh, the manager stuff and um, hoping, hoping your own fate is uh, something different uh, at, at least Stevie G and, uh, and, and the rest get uh, well uh, looked after financially so it's uh, yeah it's uh, something that all managers think about Yeah the, um, So you're a few weeks in and congrats on getting the gig and we've been wanting to chat to you for a couple of weeks to get a bit of a sense of what you're thinking and, and where you're going to go with this, uh, with this job The county final is done in leash a few weeks now is there anything that you've been able to do over the last few weeks to get to grips with the job at hand yeah just i suppose understand uh, the players the players that are there uh meet as many as uh, players as i can and i suppose the last two weeks has been taken up with with phone calls and i still have a good few to make as regards with uh panel members uh with with different uh, situations so yeah no really looking forward to getting going uh i suppose we're not allowed until the end of november I officially go back training so it's 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 preparation it's planning and look that's the stuff i enjoy doing so what sort of stuff, what, what are you doing? What is that? Well, just literally meet, meet, meeting players, uh, putting programs together, putting a backroom together, I suppose, number one. That's the, the, that's the, the, the big thing here. Uh, putting a coaching set up in place, organizing facilities, organizing, uh, I suppose, working with the county board and just getting used to, I suppose, their ways of work as well. So there's, the, the, there's a, a kind of a, a lot of uh, little bits and pieces to it. But look, very, very enjoyable stuff. And it's something I suppose I wanted to do for a long time, uh, manage inter-county level. And now I have the opportunity and I'm, I'm delighted to be in leash. Um, and you have, you mentioned the backroom staff, you have Dan in. 
Dan is in. Uh, Dan, look, re- really, really good coach. Uh, as, you, uh, you, as you probably, I suppose, saw, saw from afar and, uh, and interview him on the show over, over, over time. He's a, he's a really, really good fella. Uh, very humble, very organised, but a, a really, really good coach. And I think, you know, he'll, he, uh, I think he'll connect well with the, with the leash players as regards from a coaching perspective. And look, he, he's done it all in the game and he's, uh, he's been hugely successful over a long period of time involved with Waterford uh, with Derek going back to 17 as well. And, you know, he's, he's coaching credentials are, are high and I, I just think he's a, he's a really good fella and I, I think he'll be a really good fit for, for the leash group How do you feel uh, will you be switching from the club game to the to the inter-county game because I know even you would have worked with, with Dan and the, the Waterford backroom set up across the years and even with Bennett's Bridge and Kilkenny but that, that switch from, from club to inter-county especially when you're, when you're the main man as yourself a uh, lot, more, lot more focus a lot more attention on you like is that something that you're uh, fully aware of and ready to deal with or is it something that, that took a bit of consideration before you said yes I think there's always a consideration when you're when you're looking. Uh, we we see the demands on on intercounty teams and intercounty managers as regards the the spotlight is is constantly on. And look, Leash is a very very proud hurling county and uh, and looking to to perform. So people are going to ask questions if 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 you know if, if if it's not done correctly. So everybody has an opinion as well. So like we 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 live in communities uh, where hurling is a is a really really big piece of life. And I, I, I my my initial impression of uh, I suppose talking to people, being at the county final, being up around Leash, you know, hurling is a is, is a really really it's a it's a big part of of what they do on a on a on a on a day-to-day basis so yeah there's going to be a lot of scrutiny i suppose i, I had the i worked with county teams as regards underage uh, minors 21s uh, with tipperary back in 12 and 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 going back even to, to 2010 with ken hogan with the tip under 21s as well so i suppose i have a good understanding of the the inter-county game albeit not inter-county senior but look really looking forward to getting going and i think it's a uh, yeah delighted with the opportunity do you have targets in in your mind? I know Leash had a uh, they retained their their league status in Division One, but I mean relegation from the Leinster Championship wasn't in the in the plan for last year. So, uh, what's the what's the target? What's the realistic targets? Because we've been chatting to you know Johnny Pilkington and people within Offaly, for example, over the last few weeks. But uh, when you when you took the job, like do you have do you have set targets or is that a dangerous thing to do? I have set targets, but I'm probably not going to release them on uh, national airwaves but <laughs> that I'm held to that account by. But yeah, no, look, we definitely have targets. I think it's it's very important after being, I suppose, uh, relegated from the Leinster Championship last year to, to stabilise in McDonough to make sure that, that we're competitive. Uh, it's very, very competitive. I was, at, I was at the Leinster final last year, which uh, was the, the McDonough was the game before with uh, Kerry and Antrim. Very competitive, very enjoyable game, and the standard is is, is really good. So we recognise that that's going to be really difficult. Uh, to, but again, something that, that that I'm up for, and something that the, the players are that I've spoken to already are, are up for to give that a right go. Uh, a lot of success in 19 with Eddie. Uh, in the McDonough and that gave them a huge platform to I suppose ultimately get to a quarter final so the, the targets are there uh, I won't be releasing them quite yet but I uh, look forward to I suppose getting there and uh, yeah really good Really going at those targets and, and working with the group because you know people that commit to, to intercounty hurling are very very focused very uh, you know they they have targets they they're not it's it's a huge commitment as we as as is well documented across uh, the last ten or twelve years where intercounty is gone so yeah we have targets looking forward to, to I suppose to, to going at them and uh, yeah enjoying enjoy, enjoying the process. How different is it, Willie, just as an extension almost to that, from your time working with Kula, for example, who, who, like year in, year out, have realistic ambitions winning the county, realistic ambitions winning All-Ireland, and it's a different challenge with Leash, it's a different group. Um, How different is it for you in terms of your approach, in terms of the language that you have or the methods that you use, or is it no different at all? 
I, I think it is because, and again, it's, it goes back to the personality type of the group. Uh, yes, like the 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 hurler in in Dublin is a is a is a different person to the hurler in Leash as opposed to the, the hurler in South Tip where I'm from. I'm from a very small club, Ballangarry, so I probably understand that uh, need to, to change approach and to, to look at the, the playing resources that are there and make realistic targets to to move the group forward. So yeah, look, it's it's it's. Uh, you know, we're not going to be competing with the the, the big boys. We, we know that, and there's an acceptance of that. But at the same time, we, we have to become competitive again, and that comes through again getting getting the structure, getting getting the planning that I suppose we've been doing for the last two or three weeks, and and we'll continue for the next week or two. To make sure that's right, and that we have realistic uh, goals, we have plans in place that are realistic to the group. And like this is again, it's something that I'm uh, really looking forward to getting onto the training ground, which is I suppose ultimately where where, where a lot of the work is done. Uh, assessing fitness levels, assessing I suppose where, where the hurling is at, and and also I suppose trying to build I suppose on on the standards that are that have been built in in Leach over over, over the last couple of years. I was fascinated to to read a stat, Willie, where where uh, it was said that um, of the sixteen teams that competed in the Liam McCarthy and Joe McDonough last year, eight of them, uh, half those teams now are preparing for with new managers for this year. Like, what what does that? What does that say? Is is that just down to the I guess the the elite level of of, of pressure and time needed and commitments for intercounty management now? Is it just that there's more turnover naturally in the game, or, or how do you how do you foresee that? I think it's a mixture of both. I think it's like it's a, it's a it's a it's a pressurized environment, and and that I don't think there'll ever be a, a Brian Coley situation again as regards with with the, with the longevity that that he was in the Kilkenny job for. But it's it's it, it it is very intense. It's very it's very enjoyable, but it's very it's very intense, and it's very I suppose time. Uh, you know, you, you need a lot of time, and I, I've been very fortunate with with my work and with uh, my family at home. As regards that, I've been given the opportunity to to, to allow myself to 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 test myself in the, in this environment, but very very uh, intense environment, and I, I, I like that 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 does lead to a turnover of people, and people can't give the the, the commitment across a, a myriad of, of of different reasons over over a long period of time. But it's uh, something we all love. It's something that it's 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 innately in us as regards people from hurling communities. Uh, in, in the different counties across Ireland, and it's uh, it's something that I suppose that that, that we all uh, aspire to do. It's uh, yeah, so really looking forward to it, I suppose is is the bottom line. But time commitments are uh, are, are huge in it. Yeah, I know Karen Whelan was talking during the week about it, the demands on intercounty managers now have been out of control almost. Uh, we'll ask you about that in a year's time, maybe when you've a bit of experience under your belt at that level. What you mentioned Dan earlier on, and he was uh, you said I think he said he was really good, a really good coach, good coach on the training pitch. What is he? Uh, what sort of stuff is he doing? Well, just the, the, the basic, I suppose, hurling, uh, hurling, I suppose, skills of the players. So, like, it's it's a, I suppose, it's a, it's a pillar of of what we want to do in in, in leash across. We'll say, obviously, get your get our fitness right, but get our actual touch hurling right. Get our get our ball to hand. Get our striking. Get our just that that I suppose that. The very basic, uh, going back, I saw an article uh, from Eamon O'Shea as regards the, the former tip coach yesterday in the examiner, and he was talking about, you know, that, 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 that just the striking of the ball, that, that, that catching of the ball, all the kind of the real basic skills and the importance of them that are sometimes probably, uh, Neglected to to an extent where where in a world of again um, sports science and uh, uh, fitness and uh, and the gym sometimes the actual hurling and and breaking down of the skills so to, I suppose to answer your question Dan is very good at breaking down those skills and and making players technically better. Uh, 
before you can get into the, I suppose, the strategy of how you're going to play. But just get the hurling up, and, and Dan is exceptional at that. And then I, I, again, he has the added advantage of of being such a, I suppose, a a larger than life type character as regards. He's a, you know, he's 45 years of age. He's gymming every day. He's hurling every day. Like he's he he lives it as well. So I think players will connect with that. And it's look, it's I, I'm just delighted he, he's coming with me because I I think it's a it's something that uh you know will, will excite the the leash players and the leash public and and and, and I hope. It'll, it'll bring us success. You'll have worked with, with a number of um, top-level managers, Willie, over the years. Derek McGrath in the Waterford situation and um, even Nicky English when you're going back back a few more years as well. <laughs> like, would, yeah, that, would, it's going back a good while now. A uh, good while, yeah. But would you, yeah. Were you the kind of, are you a student of the game where you're kind of you know, picking up little tips and, and, and bits across the years from different managers or are you very much a person who just wants to focus on, on your own style or, or are you kind of the person that, that picks up little bits along the way? I think your own style develops from experiences and, mm. and uh, look, I love sport. I love hurling as a guard. So I suppose from a hurling perspective, I've been going to matches since I was a, a, a chap with my, with my dad. And I suppose getting that, getting that insight from, 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 from uh, as a young lad, going to games, playing games. I suppose I came through the whole temporary system from, from 14 right up and, and, and was fortunate enough to, to, I suppose, be managed and be coached by, by, by lots of different characters and, 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 and great players and great managers. So yeah, I, I, I think, look, life is about experiences and I think it's, it's about learning from, from from everything very fortunate I, again going back to I suppose, my own playing career ended uh, through injury when I, when I when I was younger and I, I, I was exposed to people like David Billings in UCD and uh, mm. you know so I, I was you know I was I was blessed I suppose when I reflect on it and and, and lots of different people back over the years I, I coached the double minors in, in 2008 with, with Shea Boland you know just learning consistently as I go so yeah yes I am a student of the game I, I, I love going to games I love going to Crow Park Thurless wherever it is but I also I suppose expose myself to to other sports and 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 have met a lot of us was different people over the years to to take little pieces of to to help me develop my style. Uh, am I right in saying you would have played Willie with with Henry Shefflin back in your St Kieran's college days? Yeah, Henry Henry was my class in school. Uh, yeah, great. Uh, great obviously, uh, the, the career Henry had is, is, is testament to the, to the person he is. Uh, hugely driven and, and competitive, and I suppose being in that Kieran's environment as well helped me. Uh, I suppose develop a, a, a different area of of, of myself. Uh, yeah, so Henry Henry was in my class. Uh, Eddie was in my class as well. Uh, Derek Ling was in my class as was the nuclear county manager. So it's uh, there was a there was a there was a lot of us I suppose that have that, that have uh, come through the the coaching ranks uh, now uh, that were in that 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 Kieran system going back to the day. But yeah, again, again experiences are, are are fantastic, and I was very fortunate enough to to have those experiences with those uh, I suppose uh, elite players and now managers. I suppose I asked because we had um, or Eddie Brennan was on was on off the ball during the week, and um, Eddie was really very much, and he did it on Twitter as well, putting himself out there. I think he's, he named TJ Reid as the the greatest of all time, uh, which which got a bit of reaction and certainly caused a bit of controversy as well. But um, you'll have had a bit of you know experience, as you said, playing with with Henry and players like that uh, and of that ilk. But where who would you if you had to if you had to um, Pick someone as the greatest of all time at this very moment. I know TJ Reid, there's a bit of recency bias from some from some quarters with that one, but uh, who would you have top of the pile? Yeah, it's it's it, <laughs> as as a tip man, it's not a great thing to be to be naming Kilkenny players <laughs> as the great players of all time. But I was actually at the county final on Sunday there in Kilkenny, and like TJ Reid was just absolutely immense. And I think he, you know, he, he he's definitely up there. Uh, I'm not going to give you an answer, but at the same time. <laughs> I, I, 
I think look, you look at Henry, what he what, what he did in the game. You look at you know our own own Kelly and Tipperary. You look at you know the, the, oh, some Joe Canning. You know, like the, the, we're absolutely blessed in the era that we're living with the players that were that we that we've been exposed to as regards as as, as elite players. And look again, I think uh, Henry RTJ is definitely up there. Uh, uh, look, I, I suppose I, I like DJ or DJ Carey back in the day when John Lahey, like they were, I suppose, guys that, that I would have grown up watching. And uh, so I'm going to go with a Tiberi man. It's either John Lahey or Owen Kelly, I think. Mm-hmm. What's the, uh, you mentioned the backroom, uh, the backroom staff. That's a thankless task, by the way. There's an awful question for Shane to put you on Friday <laughs> yeah. morning. What, um, you mentioned the backroom staff. Will you bring in somebody local or what are you thinking? Yeah, I have, I have Eamon Jackman. Eamon, Eamon is a Balnakil man, a leash uh, player, I suppose, o- o- over a 10-year period. He's uh, the vice principal here in the, the Loretto and Kilkenny, so he's a, no, he's a very, very able fella uh, and a really, really good coach. So, look, I'm delighted I'm delighted he's on board as well. Uh, I have a guy, Cahill uh, Murta. He's an S&C. Uh, he's currently with the, the Munster Academy at the moment, so he's going he's gonna to come on board with us as well. And I have Sean Flynn, I suppose, the analyst from that was with Tiberi in 19. Sean is going to be the analyst stroke coach with us as well so I, look it, it, it's come together I've, I've one or two more positions to, to fill mm. in the next while but it, it's just I suppose we, we have our main coaching uh, uh, team at the moment and uh, we're looking forward to getting going at the end of November Can I just ask you one Willie that, uh, that struck, uh, struck me during the week and myself and Adrian were chatting before the show this morning about um, news from the GEA talking about uh, GEA helmets and the quality of them earlier this week um, so the, the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission and the GEA essentially urging people buying hurling helmets to make sure they're up to scratch and um, provide the protection required. Sounds like obvious uh, enough stuff, but uh, both bodies made aware of poor quality helmets being sold online at the minute. Uh, maybe for, for people unfamiliar with, with your own story and, and, and what happened to yourself and, and the injury, the horrific injury um, back in, in February of 2002, 20 years ago, you might just remind people of that. And Because and, I know you're, you're someone who's spoken out quite, uh, quite eloquently in the past as well about the importance of, of, of helmets and proper player safety in the Ah, yeah, no, I, I, I suppose my own story, and it just happened. I, I would have always worn my helmet, I suppose, to, to caveat that in the, in the story. But I was in UCD 20 years ago, February, and uh, I didn't have my helmet in the car, and I, and I went training, and I got a, I got a belt in the eye, and uh, it finished my my playing career at the time. So that was kind of it, it, it was a. Uh, you know, you don't need further, I suppose, uh, vindication of the of the importance of helmets and good quality helmets. So, yeah, that's that's something that's always, I suppose, close to my heart with the experience that I've had. And it's uh, look, it, it, I think on the main, and I, I saw the story during the week on, on the the quality of uh, the poor quality of helmets. On the main, I, th- I think the GA have done a fantastic job over the last twenty years. Like when you when you see where where the game has come. Uh, re-safety and re-helmets and, and like uh, no helmets I suppose going back going back 20 years ago or the choice of them so I think look they've, they've done a really really good job it, it is worrying I suppose that there is uh uh, products in the market that, that, that are not of a standard so uh, I suppose coming from where I come from I think it's, it's, it's important the GA nail that now yeah, well, look, there's uh, lots of nice messages coming in for you, Willie. Good catching up with you. Uh, P, well, here, one of them I'll read out to you. Uh, Willie Maher is an impressive guy. Best of luck to him in leash, and we'll all uh, saucy, uh, all of us. Best of luck with the gig. Thanks, Willie, for joining us this morning. Appreciate the chat, lads. Thanks a minute. Thanks a lot, Willie Maher on the line there, the new uh, leash manager. And uh, we can reveal, Shane, that Ireland have beaten the West Indies. An unbelievable win. Nine wickets. They're really... Uh, Brilliant. Uh, nailed it and qualified for the Super 12s. What a uh, performance from Ireland this morning because it was a reasonable task of 146 for five that they've been set by the West Indies a little bit earlier in the day. Uh, but they've responded in some style to win by nine wickets. They had, uh, I think, just under three overs to play and got past the mark. 150 for one, which by my 
reckoning there must have been uh, four with the final ball. Uh, it was uh, Paul Sterling and uh, Lorcan Tucker who had uh, done a lot of the heavy lifting um, at the crease. Uh, Sterling 66, not out. Tucker 45, not out. And before that, uh, Balberni had been bowled for 37. So that is quite the response and quite an impressive win for Ireland. And they have qualified. That's... Incredible. It's a, it's a hammering as well. Like yeah. to win by nine wickets and um like we were on air this the other morning when Ireland beat Scotland. Um and look, we will enjoy beating Scotland. We we beat them in the women's game as well, so it's kinda they're probably getting a little bit sick of us in the sporting sense. But um then you you kinda had seen a few days previous Scotland had beaten the West Indies, so you're starting to think, Jesus, Ireland could really push on here. But there's always the fear that going into the West Indies game when that is in the back of your head that okay Scotland beat them so we can beat them that Ireland uh, mightn't be able to deliver but Jesus they've they've delivered in spades this morning that's a that's an incredible result so yeah uh, it's it's been a good it feels like it's been a good couple of weeks for Irish sport um, so long may that continue Rory McIlroy is going to win this weekend and top it all off as well it's just gonna it's gonna continue on this this rolling uh, snowball of, of positive Irish sporting stories you'd, you'd hope. Carl Doherty and there's been um, loads of people excited in our YouTube comments about the cricket this morning so fair play and uh, do keep the comments coming in now they've actually got over the line it's brilliant stuff and we'll have uh, more reaction to that as the morning advances as well Carl Doherty by the way is in touch to say that uh, Adrian in the iron sweater looks like he's brought his two young lads to work and is trying to hide them from his workmates so you're the one getting the abuse for the clothes I love it <laughs> I'm not, is that, is that, I mean I don't know uh, right oh, we have loads to come it is 8.19 on this Friday morning wherever it is you are at this morning a very good morning to you and I hope you're uh, enjoying what we've had for you so far we Still have a stack show for you to come. OTBM brought to you with Gillette in association with uh, Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo, and you can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. We've Alan Quinlan to come on the rugby. We've Fergus Farrell um, on the rowing exploits of himself and Damian Brown. And uh, we're going to be back after the break with the CBS Sports Galazzo's Ben Jacobs to give us more on the Aston Villa decision to remove, to sack Stephen Gerrard as manager. First of all, Nathan Murphy in conversation with Nathan Collins on the show last night. From the international point of view, uh, what was the what was the WhatsApp like on the Sunday morning when the draw has been made and it was France, the Netherlands, Greece in the uh, draw for Euro twenty twenty four? Uh it was all right. Uh, first text was from my brother. He just put laugh a face about a picture of the group. Well, listen, when I seen, it, I was delighted. I was buzzing by it. Honestly, it was like what game? Like the game when I went out from a kid, you see like. Like Shane Long's goal against Germany at the Aviva and stuff like that, and you're just thinking, listen, if we can create more memories like that, it's it's unbelievable, and that's what I want. I want to play against the best. I want to I want to test myself. I want to bring the best here to this uh, to the Aviva and see what they're like against our fans. You know, it's it's something I think we can all look forward to. I think it's something unbelievable. And listen, I, I don't I don't see why we can't do it, and I don't see why we can't make an upset. And if we do, the story behind it's going to be unbelievable. Yeah, it certainly will. Uh, it's depressing when you say as a kid, Shane Long, it feels like it was just yesterday, but you were probably yeah. only 13 or 14 yeah. at the time and uh, life moves pretty quickly. Uh, you're going to face Erling Haaland again next month in that match uh, against Norway. Uh, you got a, a taste of it. Of all the players you've gone up against over the past year then in Premier League football, who are the strikers that, that you're learning most from that afterwards you might watch back and go, okay, his movement, I need to learn from that. I need to react to that. Fair. I think in the Premier League, I think every player is so different. You know, you come up against players that don't do a lot all game, but they score three goals. Or you come up against players that do so much for the team, but they don't have the end product to show it, but they've done so much for the team to get a result. So I think every game's different. I think you have to look at analysis every game. You know, you see a player like Harry Kane and his, uh, his movement off the ball. He comes in short, he'll go in behind. He has everything to his game, so you have to be aware of that. And then you have people like Haaland, who's so direct, who's so strong. You have to adapt yourself to that game. But 
I just think every game you have to do your analysis, every game you have to learn about the player and you have to change your game. There's no way, one way of playing football anymore. I think you have to adapt to the style of play to the other people. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode. Yeah, very welcome back to OTB AM on this Friday morning. 21 minutes past eight with you, myself and uh, Adrian. We were chatting about the Stephen Gerrard news. Going to uh, elaborate that on that a bit more now as well with uh, Ben Jacobs, the football writer with CBS Sports Galazzo. Morning, Ben. How are things? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? Very good. Keeping well. Uh, you, you pointed out on Twitter yesterday a couple of t- uh, quotes. Liz Truss, I'm a fighter, not a quitter. And then Stephen Gerrard, I'm a fighter. I will never, ever quit anything. So 24 hours is a, is a long time in politics, but it also is in football, it appears. Yeah, usually when a manager says that they are a fighter, not a quitter, the writing can be on the wall. And unfortunately for Stephen Gerrard, that was the case. And it's no real surprise because the Villa hierarchy have been planning for this contingency for quite a while, just nine points from 11 games. And I think that the mid-season World Cup is making a lot of clubs in this position quite jittery because they want to make the change sooner rather than later to allow any new manager coming in to have a few games before the break. And then, of course, that gap, which is beneficial in some respects, particularly building up to the window. But if you're a bigger club and you've got all the players away on international duty, that break doesn't necessarily give the manager too much time to bed in. And then if you are World Cup players, you may have fatigue and you could be rested in those first few games after the World Cup. And I think that's why we're seeing such a managerial merry-go-round now so early in the season. And I don't think that Stephen Gerrard can have too many complaints because Aston Villa have looked a little bit toothless at times. And Gerrard had obviously done very well up in Scotland and had an immediate impact as well. But villagers haven't progressed there exactly where they were when he joined their teetering with relegation. And Gerard had said in the build-up to the game last night against Fulham that they had to get a result that he knew that it was a big week. And I think that was a hint to effectively say that he had to win that game or at least put in a quality performance. And it was exactly the opposite. They were second best in the first half and then the red card didn't help them. And they obviously end up losing by three goals to nil. And the only harsh thing... In terms of the sacking, I don't really understand why you had a scenario where Gerard actually did his post-match interview and about 25 minutes later was sacked and then he had to go back on the team bus with his former employer only to say his goodbyes when the bus got back at the training ground. And I think that it would have been perhaps slightly more professional on Villa's parts to at least leave it until first thing this morning in order to announce it. But this is football and the board had already made up their mind and they wanted to communicate that as soon as possible. Yeah, it was, it was all a bit strange after the match and, and happened quite quickly, although Villa fans, I'm sure a lot of them will be happy that it happened quickly. Um the, we, we mentioned earlier as well, Ben, like the, the brevity of the statement was quite notable. Um, you know, club spokesman was quoted, not uh, any names. But uh, like, will there be calls now for, for Christian Perslow and for Johan Lange to, to take some of the brunt of this? Will there be call for more heads or would that be a surprising thing at this stage to see anyone else fall? Well, I think that's very logical, isn't it? That some of the accountability has to be on those that employed Stephen Gerrard. But how often do we see that in football? Nottingham Forest is the only recent example that I can think of where after a very poor transfer window in the sense that they haven't got the points that they would have liked, but a good transfer window in the sense that they brought in a whole flux of players. There was debate after the Nottingham Forest loss to Leicester as to whether Steve Cooper's head will roll and Nottingham Forest did the opposite. They rewarded him with a new contract and 
a couple of the executives on the recruitment side ended up being the ones that go. But I think with Aston Villa, the board are all on the same page. They're very ambitious. And rather than rolling executive heads, they plan on spending a lot of money and being as ambitious as they can with Gerard's replacement in the hope, probably, yes, of saving their own jobs in many respects. But I don't think that Villa will let too many more, if anybody at a senior level go. It's all being pinned on Stephen Gerrard. I don't think it's quite a case of scapegoating Stephen Gerrard. He definitely has to take a large proportion of the blame. But fundamentally, football clubs work in unity and good ones should have some synergy and some shared accountability in both the decisions they make in recruitment and how the team performs on the field. But you can't ultimately sack a player for a bad result and you don't usually sack an executive for a bad result. And that's where the brunt of the responsibility falls on the manager. And in that respect, you feel a bit sorry for Steven Gerrard because every manager will say, if I had a bit more time, if I had a bit more luck, and you look, say, at Aston Villa and that game against Chelsea and they were brilliant and somehow they lost the game largely because of the performance of Kepa and a manager like Gerrard can look at that type of game in retrospect and see the potential and believe that if he had a few more weeks, a few more months, he could have turned things around. But ultimately, there's a lot of quality managers on the market and Aston Villa have chosen to move swiftly. And as I said before, I think a big part of that is also down to a mid-season World Cup and clubs that feel they're moving in the wrong direction, heading the halfway point of the season, feeling that necessity to move now rather than wait. Hmm. And yet for all that, Ben, like it does feel as if the brand Gerard is, uh, is at an all-time low, obviously, and every time he sort of spoke, post-match interviews or whatever, it didn't feel as if he was really doing himself any favours. Where do you think is the future for Stevie G now? Is this a, a fatal blow to his managerial career? I don't think it's a fatal blow, but it's just that classic proof that moving from a great club like Rangers into the Premier League can come with a baptism of fire. There's more pressure, there's higher quality, you get punished for your mistakes. But also, tactically, I think that he was just outmaneuvered on a number of different occasions and there's no time in the Premier League to learn on the job. And I'm not saying that Stephen Gerrard is a total rookie, but you're not afforded that ability to try things and learn and admit you make a mistake because of the scrutiny from the fan base and the fact that the penalty of relegation or even being there or thereabouts is so high and his game management for me got found out so you need more than one plan in the Premier League Graham Potter's great at that you need to be able to adapt to see out games and you need to work out how to motivate players and if you're a quality player like Gerard was that's one thing but sometimes you can be blinkered in many ways because you're used to doing the game in a certain way from a certain position at a certain level and you have to realize that not every player has your talent even in the Premier League in the case of Gerard, but also you have to be able to motivate those players to change the game and tactics and I think Gerard's subs let him down at times, his game management let him down at times and the team were just far too predictable whereas if you look at Lampard at Everton who's also come in for criticism, he's been able to adapt a little bit more so what would make sense for Steve and Gerard is to take a little period out of the game to assess and learn and watch back on the tapes and work out how he needs to develop and seek advice from some seniors in the game but there'll be jobs out there for sure whether in the championship or even an assistant role so let's see what happens with England for example he's never going to get the England job but if Gareth Southgate leaves who comes in and then 
is that the kind of rebuilding for him as a number two or as an assistant? And that can be very helpful as well to not be the number one, but to go into a big club as a number two for a little bit, because then there's way less pressure, but you're learning from the best, you're seeing it from the best. And then at that point, you may find another opportunity to transition back. But because of his name, as a player, because of his pedigree, because of also what he did at Rangers. I don't think he'll be short of job offers, but I don't see his next role being anywhere close to the Premier League. That's interesting because we were chatting about that earlier on, about what the next step for him might be and whether he might do an assistant thing. Are we are we overstating his um, ego almost to suggest that the, the number two thing wouldn't be, uh, that he might actually be up for that? It depends where, because if you're offered a number two at an elite level club playing Champions League or ultimately internationally, then first and foremost, he may not see that as a significant step down, more as a short-term learning. And then was it an international job? And we're speculating, of course, Gareth Southgate is ultimately preparing for Qatar and there's no absolute indication that he's going yet. But if that hypothetical materialised, then you've got the ability usually in that context to take another job at the same time and actually balance the international with the domestic. So you're absolutely right to point out that Gerard has full belief and confidence in himself. So we'll be applying in terms of next managerial gigs for a managerial position at the highest level he thinks he can get. But at the moment, I don't see that being any higher than the championship. And that's why if a big club came calling and he had the opportunity to learn and get back into the game quickly, it just might be something that he considers. And it is a step down if you talk about it in terms of hierarchy, but it could well be exactly what he needs to learn from a manager with a little bit less pressure on him. You mentioned Frank Lampard there a minute ago, Ben, and, and there are going to be obvious parallels made between Lampard and Gerrard in terms of their managerial career, um, given that their playing careers uh, bounced off each other so much. Um, like Lampard strikes me as someone who, who fully got invested in the Everton culture uh, and was, was, was at one with the fans in, in many ways and still is and, and, and has completely gone hell for leather into that job. But is, is that something that Gerrard has, has learned to his detriment now that, that there never really was or never seemed to be at least from the outset um, you know, that relationship with, with the Villa fans? He never seemed to really get, get close to them. Yeah, and I think the difference is that at Everton, it's difficult circumstances. The club may well be being sold. They've had financial woes. So Lampard's really had to dig deep. And the only way of unifying that team and moving them in the right direction is to get invested within the culture. And I think that he's proving Lampard that he has that tactical intelligence that maybe at times Gerard has lacked, certainly at Aston Villa, less so at Rangers. Whereas with Gerard, he never quite warms the fan base. And I think that the board at Aston Villa are more ambitious at the moment anyway than Everton's board for Everton. They're just desperately trying to stabilise for now. And then if a new owner comes in, let's see how they develop. But Aston Villa's board see themselves as a sleeping giant right now. They're prepared to spend big and they're prepared to throw a lot of money at their managers. So Gerard, in retrospect, was quite a risky name, despite the fact that he was very well known and did excellent at Rangers. He was thrown into Premier League football. And I think the fan base always had a few reservations about that, which means that the style of football became very important. And as soon as things turned against Gerard, results-wise, you had the fan base immediately on his back. And Gerard, as an icon, as a player, 
and at Rangers who have got a phenomenal fan base and naturally they had success as well. I don't think he'd ever really dealt with that. Maybe in his playing career after the slip, but even then that was more from away fans than Liverpool fans. So imagine as a player, you've always been a kind of hero. People have always warmed to you for England domestically at Liverpool and then at Rangers, it had gone very well indeed as well. So then you come into Aston Villa and results don't go your way and suddenly the mood changes and you're not used to that and you can't influence that as a player might and I just think that Gerard got a little agitated by that pressure and it affected his man management and his decision making from what I hear and ultimately he got found out and we want young managers to do well and we want every manager to be given a little bit of time which from a Leicester point of view it's great to see Brendan Rodgers at least having those games and seemingly turning things around but ultimately football's a cutthroat business and Villa are heading in the wrong direction and that's why I think the writing's been on the wall for quite some time and it will be the right call because if Villa had stuck with Gerrard for any longer they could easily have entered into that World Cup break in the bottom three. Yep good stuff Ben. Uh, just in a word who's taken over? Who's going to take over? Pochettino's been mentioned. Too early to say. Pochettino has been mentioned, like you say, so that is one possibility, but they'll have to be very ambitious and offer him phenomenal terms. I think Pochettino prefers to bide his time, to be honest with you, and see what else becomes available. Unai Emery is in the mix. People are mentioning Michael Beale, but it's going to be quite tough for him to take the Villa job, having explained why he wouldn't take the Wolves job because of his loyalty to QPR. If a few days later he suddenly joins Aston Villa, then that's not going to be a good look for him. So it might be quite difficult there as well. Sean Dyche will be linked as well and then two outsiders just to keep an eye on Bielsa former Leeds manager and AVB too AVB is a very distant candidate I don't think Villa are looking at him but he's very interested in Villa because I understand he still thinks he's got something to prove in the Premier League but it's an open race at the moment but one thing I do know is that a lot of the legwork behind formulating a shortlist and touting candidates had been done weeks ago, which means the Villa board are not starting from now in terms of their recruitment. They have been working on this for a number of weeks. Great stuff, Ben. Thanks a million. As always, Ben Jacobs there, CBS Sports, Galazzo. Um, yeah, interesting stuff on Jared. Andre Villas-Boas, that's a left, that's a left field show. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Probably uh, not, not the worst. Some of the names that have been tattered around, like Thomas Tuchel and ah. you know, I just can't see it, but we'll uh, see how all that plays out. Uh, a reminder, in case you've just uh, joined us, or in case you're just up, you haven't seen it, Ireland have qualified for the T20 World Cup, the Super 12s. It's an unbelievable achievement. And we're going to talk to Nathan Johns at the Irish Times in a couple of moments' time about uh, all of that. And uh, there's so much to talk about. Quite the stand for Ireland. We'll get into all that in a few moments' time. A few comments coming in as well. Um, Sean Dyche is the money bet, says JP Wright. Good morning to you, JP. Uh, it does feel like a hand and glove fit, doesn't it? Like and better, when we talk about that that thing earlier on about having somebody to come in and uh, you know be the be get uh, get the players behind you and be that voice early on. Four four two Watkins and uh, up front, uh, but he's better squad than than he had at Burnley. So I mean, Dyche would would clearly take the job. You'd imagine. Uh, he's been out of the game yeah. for a bit of time now, so it's, it depends on if Villa want him. Um, yeah, those, those left field shots, I don't like. I mean, Tuchel and Poch, they're not, they're not going to take the job. I'd be shocked. And, and he's as low as four to seven with some of the bookies. Mm. It's Pochettino, um, and Deitch seems to be second favorite with a lot of people. So, um, yeah, Deitch would be my pick, realistic pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would love from the outside to see Pochettino. Okay, over relegation team. 
cricket time. I mentioned Ireland are off to Australia. They've uh, qualified for the T20 uh, World Cup with a nine-innings w- win over West Indies in uh, Hobart this morning. It's an absolute hammering. West Indies, twice champions, of course. Delighted to say Nathan Johns of the Irish Times has been keeping an eye on it and joins us on the line. Morning, Nathan. Morning, how you doing? Good afternoon, good evening from here. Good. You're in Hobart, are you? Yeah, I'm over here. I'm currently sat in the, the underbelly of the car park waiting on a press conference. Uh, but yeah, as he said, massive nine-wicket win there for Ireland. They if qualify you... for the Super 12. Super 12s of the competition. First time they've done it since 2009. It's uh, it's up there with the best wins they've had at, at the World Cups, for sure. Unbelievable. If you need to run at any point, let us know. I know you're trying to get into the press conference there, so just shout. We're uh, we're fine with that. But we will get a bit of a sense. What was the um, what was the the so in terms of how they managed the game this morning? They obviously managed the West Indi- West Indies innings very well earlier. Yeah, they did. Uh, they won on Wednesday as well, which you know they lost the first game on Monday against Zimbabwe. Beat Scotland on Wednesday. They needed to win the last two games Wednesday and today to go through. Um, Wednesday was a bit of a you know get out of jail free card. They had one massive partnership at the end after performing pretty averagely uh, up until that point. Um, today was a completely different, complete performance with the ball. It's much harder bowling first in Hobart. Uh, the results tell you that. Um, but they bowled supremely. Gareth Delaney was excellent. Uh, his legs been three wickets, uh, only cost 16 runs. And in reply, once they got out there, they were only chasing 150, very low total at this ground. And West Indies were never in it, really. Um Balbernie and Paul Sterling, uh, the two, two of their best batters, both uh, were excellent. Paul Sterling is one of Ireland's best ever, probably. Um, he's been struggling for form of late, but he passed his, his, his half century and was unbeaten at the end. And to lose only one wicket uh, against a side like the West Indies is, is, is fantastic. Yeah, he's going to get a lot of the plaudits, isn't he, Paul Sterling? Like another half century up and the stand when you needed him. Yeah, he was there. You said about my recent form, not been, not been great, but when, when he was needed, there he was. Yeah, 2022 has probably been one of the worst years of his career, actually. Um, he had 100 in the 50 over format, but in terms of the shortest, 2020. Uh, he, which is where he excels more often than not. He's he's really struggled. So for him to come up at the end, look, um, Ireland needed their big their big talisman on on a day like today, and uh, and and they got him. Um, on that note, I do think I actually have to run. Just the captain is just walking in front of me here. I think uh, I better go off the top. Good man, good man. Well done, well done. Congrats to everybody out there. Nathan Johns, the Irish Times. Uh, thanks, Millie, for uh, jumping on the line there. Uh, brief, but great to get a bit of a sense actually from Hobart. Yeah, just, uh, you know exactly what had gone on. I think you have to remember as well, West Indies. Even though they lost to Scotland, um, they're to the twenty sixteen T twenty champions, World Cup champions. So it's not like it's that long ago that they were top of the world, um, which puts it into context. What an achievement! Uh, and two thousand and nine seems like a long time ago. Mm. Um, uh, but I mean to, to, to have done it again and, and people like Paul Sterling at the forefront of it as well class to see and, absolutely uh, class yeah. good sure. news to wake up to for a lot of people this morning exactly and I'm sure we'll have more reaction over the course of the day as well and into the uh, show this evening so stay tuned uh, for all of that stay tuned too because we're still going to uh, speak with Alan Quinlan in just a little bit we'll get his thoughts on that Ireland squad obviously it's been named for the Novembers uh, that was named during the week uh, we'll get his 15 and subs hopefully and chat to Quinny generally about that obviously the uh, small matter of Leinster Munster as well Shane at the Aviva tomorrow so very much looking forward to that I have the Ooh. two kids Booked in, the three of us are heading down. We're, I yeah. think, two or three rows back from the front. Heading down, like the, the, the Munster fans are heading down. They're heading down the road. You, you just have to roll into Head over the, the road, head over the road. Yeah, yeah. I must, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to Decent it. Decent crowd as well. Um, so there'll be, there'll be 45,000 at it. That's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad in Eviva. Um, now, a lot of Munster fans, and that's con- considering a lot of Munster fans don't travel any, anymore because of, uh, 
the expense for one and trying to get accommodation in Dublin especially for, for a kick off at, at uh, what 5.15, 5.30 so yeah I, I don't know what way this is going to go for Munster the pressure is probably on Leinster more so but I mean they need a result I don't know about that I don't know the only pressure on Leinster is the fact that they're at home maybe they've had a better start to the season and yeah. they've got through tighter games and it just hasn't been going their way like there is a huge amount of pressure on Munster having said that obviously the win last weekend I think will definitely um, help mm. It'll, that will take a bit of the heat off them because actually, you know, there isn't an expectancy that Munster will win this game. That's the reality. Uh, not a great news flash, but, you know, I think when you weigh everything up, I mean, I know that, uh, look, Munster are just off the back of a big win. There, there is a case here, and I'm definitely going to be asking Quinny about it, that there is a case here that uh, Munster can pull off an upset. Is this Leinster tourism here? No, it's not at all. It's not at all. It's like, it's Munster. I, you know, I think Munster fans, the optimistic Munster fans will look at the game against the Bulls as a potential turning point in the yeah. season. Yeah. You know, that could be the landmark moment. And we'll see, look, at the, the one caveat to suggesting that Munster might um, actually win the game tomorrow would be the amount of um, injuries that they have. And yeah. there's still a bit of uncertainty as to exactly who will be playing. So that will definitely help dictate some of that. Colm has informed me in the meantime that he's going as well, himself and his dad. So mm-hmm. um, I think everybody will just be hopeful that at the very least, even if he ends up wearing a Munster shirt, we won't hold that against him. He's not wearing that monstrosity. Ah, fair play. You have to wear it. You have to wear it. And and that's the other thing. Fiona Hayes listening to Wednesday Night Rugby last night mm. actually probably filled a lot of people and Munster fans with a little bit of confidence. Now, Fiona, she's optimistic about Munster's chances uh, most of the time, and rightly so. But uh, yeah, she she kind of pointed towards ways in which Leinster can be got at, but remains to be seen. You'd like to see a tight game, and look, it won't be a consolation to Munster fans, but even if they could make it a tight game, get a losing bonus point maybe. Uh, I know I know that's a horrible thing to say because Munster fans are like, no, we have to win the game, but uh, that would be not a bad thing given Leinster's dominance in recent years in this derby. Uh, loads of comments coming in about uh, Stevie G. Uh, where was this one now? Uh, Big Sam assert, says Jared Lynch. Um. <laughs> he's down. He's down the road. Like I was looking at the the odds there. Big Sam is down at. Uh, he's sixty six to one shot. Like he's he's alongside Steve Bruce. He's he's Roy Keane is actually fifties. So I mean, yeah, it's not going to happen. Big Sam. The Villa ownership has too many notions to hire Dyche. Was an interesting point from C Bracken. <laughs> they think they're too big. Yeah. Ah, lads, the European Cup wins were a long time ago. Deitch is the man to keep you in the Premier League and that's the most important thing Right, here's what's happening across the back page it's almost quarter to nine we'll have Alan Quinlan stand by in a couple of moments time to uh, talk us about all that uh, great rugby stuff but uh, the Irish Daily Mail to begin with you can see obviously a very glum looking That's it's an awful photograph he's been captured at a brutal moment and uh, he must have known what was in the post Gerard on the brink uh, was the reporting there obviously it happened very late last night to catch some of the papers this morning Ronaldo refused to play and there's more details inside there obviously about um, the continuing fallout of the biggest man-child yeah. in sport and his brat behaviour. Fair to say that photo of Jared won't be on his LinkedIn profile, I don't think. So there's better he's updating it this morning. Yeah. All the little courses he's been doing over the last couple of years to you know, better himself as he's kind of linking in with a lot of people. To, of course. Hey, look, I'm over here. I'm available. I'm, what, what's the, you can put a strap on your, on your um, LinkedIn page to say open for work. Is that yeah, the, you get endorsed. So Christian Perslow endorsed Stephen Jared. For, Jesus, I don't think I think no, he's the same as last night suggests whatever the opposite of endorsing. Uh, Leicester find form to move off the bottom this was the uh, 2-0 win over Leeds last night more reporting inside there as well and Lisa Fallon's thoughts on the draw for the Women's World Cup which will take place in the morning basically by 9 o'clock in the morning this is everything you need to know by 9 o'clock in the morning we'll have all details of who we're playing mostly barring the sort of weird rubbish that will be happening but who will be playing where will be playing what times will be playing so people can start to plan you know jump on the uh, 
if you're planning to get out there, I'd suggest tomorrow morning is probably not the worst time that you could. Um, mm. But the flights and the accommodation. Um, Ronan Nagara is in the examiner this morning. Uh, what's the goal in life to get the best out of yourself? It's a very interesting read, I must say, as it always is uh, this morning, where he's reflecting on a training ground spat that he had with Teddy Toma <laughs> um, after their loss to Bayon last weekend. And um, he was saying that, you know, he expects more out of him and they had a bit of an exchange of views by all accounts and he brings a bit more clarity to exactly why that's not um, you know not the biggest news flash that these things happen in the training ground and he's legitimate to you know call his player to account mm. Refreshing to see a manager coming out and admitting to it because sometimes you hear these leaks and it's not as yeah. good as the manager getting out in front of it and saying look we had, we had a spat it's, it's, it's history now we made up kissed and made up with Teddy, Teddy Thomas so yeah always a great read from Rog and um, it's it's fascinating to get an insight from a from an elite level dressing room as well like that. So great stuff. Uh, <laughs> okay, speaking of great stuff, Alan Quinlan. Good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are you? Flying it. How are you keeping? Delighted to see uh, Stevie G, one of your former uh, heroes, get the boot this morning, Quinny. You're, you're delighted, or am I delighted? Are you no, delighted? I'm, I'm, you no, no, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed yeah. because. Um, uh, I met him a few times and uh, he was absolutely lovely and obviously big Liverpool fan so is my son so we met him in Portugal a few years ago as well and he brought my son out onto the field with him uh, when he was with Rangers now that was that was the downside maybe at the time we wouldn't be Rangers fans but anyway um, he was lovely so you know obviously he was a Liverpool legend so I'm a bit disappointed for him but that's the nature of uh, the business at the moment. When I saw the result last night, I thought that's it, and uh, obviously it was for you know. But it's a cutthroat business. We've uh, tasked you. I, I accept uh, late in the day. We're picking your fifteen and subs from the uh, squad that was named during the week. Maybe a good way to sort of pick through the uh, selections that Andy Farrell and his backroom staff have gone with. So, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, look, it's uh, obviously for South Africa. You're. You know, there's some calls that maybe there should be a bit of mixing and matching here with the selection, but I think you've got to try and win these games as well. And I think there will be, obviously, um, some tweaks and changes for, for Fiji and maybe even Australia, but I think Ireland have to get a, a start as strong as they possibly can. There's a lot of injuries and, and some doubts about some of the players, but it kind of self-explanatory picks. Most of it picks itself, well, nearly the whole team. Um Andrew Porter, James Sheehan, Tyg Furlong, James Ryan, Tyg Byrne, O'Mahony at six, Doris eight, Van der Fleer seven. So that's the forward pack that would have started a third test um, in New Zealand. Um, maybe the second one as well, with. if I'm a mistake. Yeah, I think, look, they're going to, it's going to be a very physical game, obviously, and um, you don't have a lot of time together in camp uh, preparing and trying to get getting everyone back up to speed so they're they're the ones who perform really well who did you go for the second row Quinny sorry James Ryan and Ty Byrne yeah you know there's no there's no Henderson um, needs most obviously yeah obviously this you know Ryan Baird is back is back in the squad Um, he was in New Zealand as well and and putting a bit, bit of pressure on there he's still a young player Kieran Treadwell did really well off the bench in in New Zealand, so who are you taking uh, as cover there? Who's your bench cover for the second row? Well, I think again, I'm going with I'm going with uh, I'm going with what's what happened in New Zealand, and Treadwell came off the bench there. There's there's an argument. 
to 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 you know to put a Joe McCarthy in there. Thomas Ahern is on the A squad. They did really well in South Africa, both those guys. And it's an obvious area of concern that that gap is kind of closed with the with the the, the, the seasoned internationals of Byrne, Ryan, Henderson. We need more depth there. We need more options there. Um, so, you know, Treadwell did really well off the bench again and, and he has a knock. So who knows what, you know, how fit and how, how well he'll be. Obviously, they're picked. So the medical... The medical reports on, on, on some of these guys that are in the squad that they will make it. Um, then in the backs, um, Gibson Park, Sexton. I, I thought about this long and hard as regards putting um, ma- making a change. It's obviously Bundiaki is out, but mm. Stuart McCluskey is someone who's been playing outstandingly well for for Ulster. Um, I'm delighted he's in the squad. I think he will feature. He'll be pretty close. But obviously, Henshaw and Ringrose, again, they know he's other, other inside out and they're top quality internationals. So I think they, they, that's who I'd start in the centres. Ringrose is um, man of the match every other game at the minute. Yeah, but just every time Henshaw plays, even, uh, you know, he doesn't drop his standard as regards commitment and, and you know, his ability to, to make things happen. He's, he's an incredibly competitive player and... Um, Top class international, I think. Uh, full back then. Uh, before, before you, before you go there, who are you putting on the bench as cover at ten and nine? Who am I putting on the bench at ten and nine? Um, yeah, I, I'm saying Craig Casey, uh, Connor Murray. Obviously, is maybe he's you talk about picking players for different games. Maybe he would be the one that would be suited best as regards his physical presence. He's his um, his ability to defend um, and he's been top class at that for a long long time. But I think obviously if you want that bit of zip off the bench, uh, maybe Casey brings that. So it's a very very tight one between both of them. Um, there's an argument for both. Um, and you know Conor Murray hasn't a lot of games played this year. Mm. We'll obviously see tomorrow. Um, he probably will start, um, should start at, at this stage because I think Casey hasn't really trained during the week, so I don't know what whether he'll he'll be involved. I doubt if he will be involved. Um, so Conor Murray needs matches and uh, obviously can still do a good job there, but I'd probably go for Casey slightly. Yeah, and, and, Carberry. and Carberry. Yeah, what can, just on on the next level, sort of after that, at ten because I, I saw with interest the three red. King's account on uh, Twitter a um, Monster fan account and they were making the point that Jack Crowley did really well in the Emerging Ireland Tour but it's Frawley that gets the call up uh, to that extended senior squad regardless uh, obviously it points to a huge ambition for Frawley from Andy Farrell and his team Yeah I think obviously they, um, they probably see him as, as the one that uh, can put pressure on Carberry there is best equipped at the moment. Mm. I think obviously what Jack Crowley did in South Africa impressed. Um, he did it again last weekend. Uh, we know he has that ability. Uh, we've been waiting for it. I think he was held back in Munster a little bit in the last couple of years. If he was in Leinster, he'd probably have 30 or 40 caps for Leinster now at this stage. Um, but Frawley's a very good player. He's uh, He has an ability to, to, to you know, to put pressure there and maybe you know obviously you know Sexton is going to be gone after the World Cup and there's, there needs to be players who, who are used there that's just the way it's going to work so 
Frawley has an ability to do that job and uh, I think he's a really good player and it'll be interesting to see this does he start um, against Fiji or does mm. he you know Carberry needs games as well um, mm. but how that's managed throughout November but um, I think Carberry will be on the bench I think there is a pecking order and, and unless someone does something really consistently good for, for a number of games or impresses in training you know that that kind of makes a difference too if you you can turn one of the coaches' heads and then they give him a chance in a big game. So, you know, if Frawley was to start for Ireland and have a big game, well, then the narrative kind of changes, doesn't it? Yeah, like you have the slightly, uh, it's not unique, but certainly unusual situation in that he's not really in the pecking order. Um, and I know, obviously, injuries. If Harry Byrne was there, does he get in ahead of Frawley? If he wasn't injured as a minute, does he maybe get in ahead of Frawley? But you have, obviously, the slightly unusual situation at Leinster where it's Sexton... I mean, maybe Harry Byrne, maybe Ross Byrne, maybe Frawley in that order. But yet, when it comes to Ireland, Frawley seems to leapfrog the other three almost. The other two. Yeah, and I think it's just, it's literally them looking at it and saying, who's, who has the ability? The others have been there and they're not kind of written off. I think, obviously, um, Ross Byrne, um, you could argue that, you know, he had that kind of run in the squad uh, for those warm-up games uh, in 2019 where it went a bit pear-shaped for Ireland and he was kind of, um, you know, suffered a little bit because of that. Um, he's always played really well for Leinster and always mm. done a good job for Leinster, I think. And I just think kicking, uh, kicking... Yeah, I think they look at Frawley and they look at Frawley and I think they say, look, this guy has an ability to to bring you stability but also bring you that attack as well and he's a physical player he's strong and maybe just think that he's the one that can step in there and close that gap yeah what's your back three so um, Hugo Keenan Mac Hansen and Robert Balakoon. Um I'm a fan of Balakoons. I think you could there's obviously be merits for putting uh, Jacob Stockdale back in there I think he's obviously picking up an injury again um I started the season pretty well, uh, out for a long, long time, and and was a you know a mainstay of this team a couple of seasons ago. Still very young and very, very talented. Um, but I, I I love Balakum when he plays. I think he's such a balanced runner. He's so quick, and uh, he's scoring tries. And you know, Hansen can play in the left and put Balakum on the right wing, and and Hugo Keenan at full back. So even though they're down a number of players. Um, you know, there's the, probably the next level and that depth in the back three is a little bit light. Um, I just think that um, that's an incredibly exciting back, exciting back three who can, can all run with the ball. Yeah, and some uh, exciting propositions in reserve as well with a couple of the young cap players. Calvin Nash, obviously one of those that uh, continues to impress and uh, Jimmy O'Brien coming through as well. So um, lots to be excited about. That yeah, Jimmy O'Brien has been brilliant and, uh, and Nash, I think. So it's good to see that. And, uh, you know, it'll be good for, it'll be brilliant for Calvin Nash. Um, he's always been, had that talent. Um, I stifled again a little bit in, in, the, in the last couple of seasons. Um he just needs to run and he needs to get to that level and look at the likes of Henshaw, Ringrose, the way they do things up close. So it'll really benefit him being in that Irish squad. I saw Donald Lennon during the week calling out whether the Munster-Leinster games are a rivalry at all anymore, was the way he put it. Um, he went through the stats, Munster one win in nine games, um, and they're obviously stacked with injuries at the minute, so it's an easy thing to say, well, you know, Leinster are expected to win tomorrow and that's that's that. But... 
there's probably another side to that story as well, Quinny, the optimism, obviously, of what happened last weekend. And maybe it's a significant turning point in the road for this monster coaching ticket, particularly. It is. I think the, the concern is, um, you know, on paper, Leinster, you know, have dominated this fixture in recent years. And I've had to, you know, we people in Munster understand that. They understand that there's a gap. Um, there was times in the last couple of seasons that we thought the gap was closing a little bit. Um, but obviously with the start of this season and, and I think in, in in those nine fixtures since Munster last won a league game in 2018, in December 2018, they've played nine times. Leinster won eight of them. Munster won one game in the Rainbow Cup. Um, and I think what happened last um, last May in the in the URC and the Aviva probably hurt more than anything because, and that was probably more concerning than anything because number one, it nearly put Munster out of the the playoffs, and two, it was a, it was you know a second stroke third Leinster team that beat beat Munster, um, who were obviously missing some players themselves, but it was on paper it was it was you know it was a pretty decent Munster team, and they totally. Um, that was uh, totally overwhelmed in that game and beaten by energy, quality, um, tactical nous, and Munster were incredibly flat. So it's been a painful uh, situation for Munster, and and I think the start of the season probably the optimism kind of faded away again a little bit, and and there's a lot of change there. But you know, with the new coaches coming in, I think we saw some glimpses last year against the Bulls. Um, last week against the Bulls and I think people you know it's funny some people were saying well the Bulls were useless the Bulls were were no good and and maybe there's some truth in that but I think Munster executed so much better themselves they had an energy about them that I think is a minimum standard and you know even if they made some mistakes again I think Munster fans were happy that there was a bit of fight there was a bit of zip in their game and, you know, they were winning collisions against a very physical side. And then, you know, a lot of players played really well. So it gives a little shot in the arm again. But you go to Dublin this week and you think that could be taken away. I just think it's really important that it's it's going to be a week in Munster team. It's going to be a week in Leinster team. You talk about the rivalry. It is, the rivalry will always be there as regards, you know, the history between the two teams. But expectation or anticipation of this being a really tight game how many games back in the day could you say that this could go either way Adrian you know what I mean and mm. that doesn't happen at the moment and uh, that's just a reality and, and obviously Leinster have a kind of their golden generation of players and they've they've uh, a lot of depth right across the board and, and there's been question marks about some of the Munster players this year and, and the performances they've put in so it's a daunting task, um, but I think Munster have to bring a little bit of fight. Um, and I don't mean aggression as regards, you know, being niggled. I mean, just fight and passion themselves and try and build a little bit on what they did last week. Um, getting the result is, I wouldn't say it's out of their reach, but it's it's very difficult. But I think if they can build a little bit on the last week, um, certainly around the attack and, and uh, you know, forward dominance and stuff like that not being dominated and get their set piece right um, there was things that people watched the last couple of weeks that was infuriating to watch I'm sure it was hard on the Munster coaches as well 
and probably the players in the reviews, but um, a couple of steps forward. And my fear is um, that, you know, they could get, take a step or two backwards. Um, as long as it's not too many steps, I think it'll be, it'll be okay. If you're to make an argument for for Munster Quinney, like uh, Leinster, look they they look brilliant, but maybe not as infallible as they were last season. This time last year, um, like uh, Rory O'Connor and, and Fiona Hayes were on Wednesday night rugby last night, and they were talking about Johnny Sexton being being fairly riled up with the referee against the Sharks, and maybe that that's something that that Munster could could do, like the likes of Peter O'Mahony and Gavin Coombs are well able to to rile up opposition players where it needs to be. Is that something that the monster should be doing? There should be a little bit of niggle in these in these rivalry games, anyway. So maybe something like that, and, and, and kind of picking on Johnny to, to use a better uh, um, one of a better phrase. That's maybe one way to go about it. Maybe I think um, I just think body language across the board. I go back to that game in May. Um, you know, obviously monster players were hurting from that game, but. Sometimes you've got to show that hurt with your passion as well out in the field when you lose decisions. Um, you know, even you, you, that Arsenal thing that was on Netflix, uh, which was brilliant. I can't think of the name all of it again. I, I was mm-hmm. All or nothing. I was watching that and I thought it was intriguing. I just think Arteta, one thing jumped out to me, he said to one of the players that just about the standard, um, that when they lose the ball, they don't look like they're bothered. And in one of these games that they lost, and I just think it's Munster need to have a little bit of that. They need to look like they're bothered more. That may sound quite insulting if one of the players was watching this or listening and say, "Well, I really cared, and I am hurting." But you've got to show it, and you've got to show it. And Sexton shows it all the time, and it comes down to leadership. Now, you don't want fifteen-year players whinging and whining around the field. That's not the point here. But they have to show like that they're really frustrated by certain things, and in, that actually creates a bit of energy, a bit of drive, a bit of um, a bit of a spark in the group, and you know the crowd kind of get behind that as well at times. So, yeah, um, obviously Johnny Sexton has that incredible, incredible leadership as well, and uh, you know he's been around, and, and his temperament is has driven him to where he is. Um, you know, I, don't, I think you start questioning referees and other players other than the captain. You know, Peter Mahoney can be ver- very vocal and, and and is well able to you know uh, go at referees as well. You've got to get the balance of that right. But I just think right across the board, the players need to show a real kind of energy and really show that even though I know they want us, they've got to show that to people as well. And that sometimes is in your body language and... Um, you know, having that bit of a poker face on that you're you're ready for the fight. Um, I think it does make a difference. Some people say, well, you know, maybe it does. It, it comes down to quality, and you've got to execute. But I think if you go in pretty animated, um, obviously get the, the the tone of that right, it'll help you. It's basically you're being the underdog, and you know most teams that play against Leinster are the underdog, aren't they? So you've you've got to go in. But I think they got to get. You know, if once we go to Dublin tomorrow, thinking if we we've got to focus on stopping Leinster, I think that's that's been the problem before, and I think mm-hmm. Johan Van Grand sides have done that. They've gone to to Dublin, you know, kicking the ball a lot, um, keeping it very tight, keeping it very simple, and yeah, some of the games were tight. You know, sixteen nine, sixteen six. There was two from there, I think. Um, 23 you know 15 these kind of score lines that but they're still dominant wins 
They were never like Munster were, 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 were going to win those games. I think Munster have to be brave against a very good side who they'll have a number of injuries themselves, but they're cohesive and when they get their tempo right and their pace, um, they're very, very dangerous and they can punish sides. So it's a big task, but it's a great opportunity for these players as well. You've got to look at it as opportunity. I think I've spoken there about stuff in the last number of years. If you focus on that too much and with this playing coaching group, um, you get kind of tied up in it. They've got to look forward. And that's what I mean. If I was in that dressing room, I was thinking, right, very, very conscious and aware of how good Leinster are, but also this is an opportunity to go out and show a little bit of fight and bring a bit of passion to the table. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see it as well. Enjoy it. Thanks, Quinny. Yeah, cheers, lads. Thanks. Thanks a lot. We've kind of uh, Scarlet's course tonight as well, 7.35 uh, from Galway. It is uh, 9.05 on this Friday morning, and we're delighted to have you with us. Uh, loads of comments coming in this morning, Shane. Plenty more, and we'll uh, come to maybe a few of those in uh, a little bit as well. It's OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio over the course of the day. Half past 10 uh, this morning, it is going to be a crappy quiz. Um, live, live, live. Should be absolute delight. I'm not out about that. Half past 11 is uh, football kickoff. It's going to be live. Uh, Johnny Ward, Cullum, and Clive Allen, Cullum's best mate, is going to join us there at half past 11. One o'clock, the life and times of uh, the Ackle boxer, Johnny Caban, on OTB Gold. West Meath is the subject of Mount Rushmore at three. Shane Supple will be the th- Team 33 League of Ireland legend uh, at four. And then Joe in conversation with Sherlock Nan from six. You can follow OTB across all of our social channels. Subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the latest and uh, best in sports content and after the break we're going to be live in studio with Fergus Farrell a week on from Damien Brown's chat with us on this very show we're going to hear about Fergus's epic journey himself alongside Damien which set off from New York uh, to head to Galway and uh, was cut short after just 13 days for Fergus OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave magnificent modes all right, it's 10 past nine. You're watching OTPM. Delighted to have you with us and delighted as well to say Fergus Farrell joins us in the studio. Good morning, Fergus. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm good. Thanks, William, for coming into us. You've got the shorts on. We've just been saying you're, you're a brave man. Um, fair play on a, on a cold uh, day like it is. Uh, people who have been watching the show with any sort of regularity will be familiar with your story. And uh, alongside Damien, obviously, you both set out from New York uh, a couple of months ago to row to Galway. And we'll get into that story. And uh, there's plenty to it. How have you been over the last while, I suppose? Because you obviously your journey ended a bit... Um, earlier than you would have hoped. Yeah, uh, unfortunately my journey uh, ended uh, 14 days after it started um, but it took me a long time to recover from it. Uh, I don't know how Damien's doing it right now because mm. he was 112 days out in sea and he hasn't stopped going since he arrived but for the first four or five weeks I was in absolute bits. Mm. Couldn't have no energy, no nothing uh, but now I'm flying it again, you know, uh, back training, back enjoying life. Um, yeah, so really, really going well now again. It must have been hugely disappointing, obviously, when that when the decision had to be made. Um, yeah, so obviously I've looked back at it many, many times, mm. and no matter how how I look at it, um, I still know uh, the right decision was made. But I cannot get over that uh, feeling of of disappointment, really, and being gutted. Yeah, because um, you know we're, we set our sets out to to. to to get a world record, 55 days, 13 hours and odd minutes. Mm. And up to that point, we were, I would say, on track to do it. 
Um, and then with me getting off the boat, it destroyed all chances, all hope. Um, so that for me is just gut wrenching because we had put in such an effort uh, to put ourselves into that position. And then when when we got to the Gulf Stream um, and the boat started moving at four, five, six knots per hour with less effort, that's when I started failing, mm. which was. Yeah, it was, it was. So you'd started to feel unwell a little bit almost for, for the pre- previous couple of days or was it more suddenly that it... Uh, it, was, it was a gradual thing really, mm. uh, but over kind of two days. So I remember uh, the first... Day, now, look, because I was... Uh, look, I found it tough for, for all the time. I won't lie. Um, you know, there was nothing comfortable about it. There was nothing uh, easy about it. It was relentless. But I had myself geared up for that. But what I hadn't myself geared up for was having absolutely no energy and not knowing how to deal with that. Mm. And um, the heat was also something that I, I struggled massively with. But say about two days before I actually got um, taken off uh, Crush McCree, um, I started feeling, you know, lethargic, uh, getting deeper breaths, taking longer to recover. And so I started... Because we hadn't been eating well, I, I, tr- I kind of forced more food down to me to see was it like, you know, was mm. it just energy I needed? And then I then I said, right, I need to start drinking more water, see was dehydration. Because when we went out on the Goa Bay uh, for two, uh, it was pretty much 40 odd hours. Mm. I remember I got a severe headache and that was just pure de- dehydration. Right. So I was here going, maybe I'm not drinking enough water. I had been drinking loads of water, but I, I just took more water on board. That didn't help me. The food didn't help me. And this is over a course of a period of time. And then it went into the second night. And that's when I, I literally put all demo after his two-hour shift of getting good mileage in. I was getting on the, on, the, on the seat to do my rowing. And I was doing nothing. I couldn't do anything. And literally, he'd get in the cabin. I'd row for a few minutes. I was falling over the oars. Uh, just no energy whatsoever. I wasn't sore anywhere. It was just... There was nothing, no life to me. And I was deep breaths. And when I was trying to row then, I was doing two breaths per stroke rather than one breath. Mm. And then when I wasn't rowing, I was just really labor breathing. And then I'd lie down the deck. And I don't know if you've seen the boat, but mm. there was absolutely no place in that deck you could lie that'd be comfortable. Mm. But I didn't care because I couldn't stay sitting up on the seat. So I just lie down there and there'd be something sticking in me somewhere. But I actually just didn't care because I was resting. And say maybe half an hour would pass by and I'd try and get back on the seat. And once I got back onto that seat, um, I was exhausted again. And then the last straw was, so there was a, a compass right in front of us uh, that I had to have lit up to see it. Now, I wouldn't have the best vision. Damien's really good vision, but um, a few days before, and there was no problems watching that or looking at it and making sure that I was rowing in the right direction. But for that last night, it was complete blur. I couldn't see it properly. So even to just keep the boat going in the right direction was becoming impossible because to see it, I'd had to get off the seat, get down, look at it. And by the time I was back up in the seat, sure, a wave would have come and I could have been, you know, I could have been turned anyway again. So mm. even that was just... Is, yeah. is there a, like a level of frustration? I'd, I'd imagine there is a level of frustration with that, Fergus, as well, because you know better than anyone what your body's capable of. So when your body's almost betraying you like that <clears throat> at the time when you've, you've revved it up to, to, to not do that, it mm. must be quite quite um, frustrating is, is probably a decent word to use. Um, so that's a good question. Yeah, there is a frustration, but I, I think the frustration was more around um, not knowing why I couldn't do it. Because 
as I said, like leading up to this, I'd done plenty of rowing and um, I'd done a lot of, lot of, um, a lot of fitness, a lot of weight training. Uh, I thought I had, you know, from my accident going back uh, uh, in in 2018, and I suppose this is my first ever um, mammoth challenge to. And I thought I had my body prepared and trained and my mindset, you know, everything boxed off to take on this challenge. But when I look back at it now, you know, maybe I should have, because obviously Damien, you know, he's been doing Everest, you know, uh, the Seven Summits. uh, He's rode another ocean. He's done, you know, um, the Marin Sables, so many different things. And he's been building up the resilience in his body. Mm. Whereas I've come off um, having a spinal cord injury into one of the biggest challenges you can do uh, for mankind. So maybe when I look back on it, I should have maybe done some smaller challenge to build up that resilience to see where I was. But I just thought, like, um, because of what I came through and um, I felt very strong and I felt very good and the training and everything, the mindset was great, I thought I just could do it and I could nail it. But but maybe just the body just gave up. I honestly don't know. Like for people who maybe are unfamiliar with that story, like mm. the, the the accident in, in twenty eighteen, I mean, to even to get in a boat and, and attempt to do this was yeah. was quite remarkable, and even to to last, I know it's no consolation, but yeah. through two weeks in the Atlantic rowing, uh, considering what you went through, you might just tell people who maybe aren't familiar with that story what what happened there. Okay, um, yeah, so twenty sixth of October two thousand eighteen, um, very simple workplace accident. I was lifting a metal bench, um, picked up picked it up with another guy, and uh, in an instant. Rupture my T9, T10, and T11, and uh, one of those discs uh, leaked into my spinal cord and severed my spinal cord by 90%. Well, they call it pinching, and uh, left me completely paralyzed. And I was classed as a grade A spinal cord injury. Uh, and I was rushed up to the Mallard Hospital, um, got emergency surgery done, and ultimately I was told from that point onwards that um, I was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, and that, um, you know, what the medical uh, profession were going to do for me was make my life as comfortable as possible, uh, and and that was it. And after that, I was I was given a stat that five um, percent. Um, the stat was if you get movement after seventy two hours, uh, you have a five percent chance of gaining some sort of strength. Right, some strength, not walking, just strength in your mm. uh, movement. Um, I didn't get onto it after 72 hours. And after um, 21 days, i never forget it, up down the, the uh, St. Finbars in Galway because I'd been transferred down to Galway waiting for my bed in the NRH. I moved my big right toe uh, at like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And I was here going, am I hallucinating or what? Yeah. What is going on? And I had to wait until like 7 o'clock in the morning before a person came around. I was like all night going, is that moving, you know? And so from there on, I was, it took off and thankfully I said, I'm here. I was able to walk into you today and have this chat. And mm. like when, when something's taken away from you, uh, you realize how much, um, it is to you, you know, it's so hence why I've done this, try to take on this challenge. I want to try and show people that don't ever give up on yourself push yourself as hard as you can because you're the only person who's going to do it. Yeah. Obviously, you're going to have physios, you're going to have doctors around you, you'll have uh, everybody around you helping you. But if you don't want to do it, they're not going to force you to do it. So that was why I took on this challenge was to show people like, you know, you can do whatever you want to do if you have the right mindset and you apply yourself correctly. 
Can you take us back to the night so you talk about the, and it's really important that you've given the context of where you're coming from because, yeah. uh, as Shane yeah. said, it really puts the achievement in in uh, in good uh, context. Take it back to the night where it was the night, wasn't it, where you were, where you finally began to say, "Listen, this is just not happening for me. It's not working out." I presume you tried to fight that initially, as you said, for the first little while, and then it comes to a point where you're like. That's it. I'm going to have to talk to him now. Is that yeah. how it happens? Or yeah, it was um, because I was uh, uh, like he was going into the cabin because literally our changeover was like within like you get the ten minute call right, um, wake up and you literally ready, yeah. yeah get yourself ready, yeah. get out and you're back in and especially at night it was just like literally you wouldn't see each other at all. You're like hi, how are we getting on? Hmm. And you know so, but I was I was um, like during that time. I was just, I, I was just, there was nothing, I, I thought if I, okay, I'll rest here for half an hour and I'll get my energy back and I'll go and then the next two hour shift that I was meant to be rowing again after going into the cabin and trying to sleep in the cabin, um, I thought, you know, over those periods of times I'd build up my energy again, you know, whereas when I was meant to be rowing, I wasn't rowing, so that extra bit of rest and then going back into the cabin for those it would start building my, you know, I get a bit of energy back and the extra food. And then the last straw was I, I got a, a big chocolate bar and a big bag of uh, Harry Buzz mm. just to give me this insulin spike. And again, just flat, nothing. nothing. At that stage, then I said, and then obviously my mind started chasing. I'm here going, what's going on with me? Mm. You know, and the last time I felt um, this type of, really struggling to breathe was I was in again I was in the Mar Hospital it was, I got blood clots in my lungs mm. about a week after I got the operation because I was still in the bed you know mm. and um, about a day before that I just remember that real struggling to breathe now a totally different scenario as to uh, the mm. boat you know but I was remember that real struggling to breathe and just not never seemed to have enough oxygen. That was exactly how I felt on the boat. Mm. Whether that was from anxiety or uh, stresses, I have no idea. But uh, I just remember that stage. I kind of, um, I said, "Demo." Um, well, before I, I, I woke him up, it was around six o'clock in the morning. It was just getting uh, um, light. You know, it was just beginning to come into daylight. And I, I got up and I went into the uh, where we had our medical kit mm. and I bought all the medical stuff. So I had an idea. We had something like this to test myself. Mm. So I went and just looked at it and straight away I seen the rating and it said 86. And I went, oh, sh- sugar. Um, <laughs> I went, oh, no, because Anthem Blow 96 is a dangerous okay. level, cl- clot, blood clotting level. Yes. Anthem Blow that. So I was at 86. And I was going, oh, no. so I, I woke up Demo and uh, I said, Demo, there's something going on here. And I told him the crack with the blood clots and how I knew what the reading should be and all this type of stuff. And I gave him the the, the instrument to check your oxygen levels and he read uh, 98 straight away. Now, when I put it back on about five minutes later, I was back up to 88, but I didn't climb from there. And I was literally at this stage, I was like, and even to get in the cab and around to like that was just a huge mission. So things just started going through my head. I was here, no, I can't be getting blood clots out here. Because mm. once you have blood clots, supposedly you're more prone to getting them again. Okay. And the thing is, because I've this reduced sensation in my legs, my circulation of my blood wouldn't be as good as what, say, yours would be. Mm. So again, blood clots arise from being... I suppose having still in one position. Now I know we're rowing all the time, but it was still in the one position. Yeah. So again, all this thing was going through my head, and I was going, "I have three kids at home. 
And I always said, I'm taking on this challenge, but one thing I'm not going to do is put my life at risk. Mm. And you felt it was, obviously, at that point? Um, uh, well, I don't know what I felt at the time, being honest with you. Mm. I, I, I was not thinking straight at all. Uh, and was yeah. the conversation, was it, so you say, listen, you're, you're both playing this out, and then you, you both come to the conclusion, or you're like, listen, who, who says it, or how does that come about, where you're like, right, it's done. Uh, well, we so when we had the when I told Damon the crack, um, I told him the history and w- what I'm feeling. Uh, he was going, "Oh man, we have to ring Chris Martin or on 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 on, on ground sport." And he's a world famous ocean rower, and he, you know, really well respected man in in the ocean rowing industry. You know, mm. so straight away got to phone, rang him up. Uh, Put me through to him. I told him the symptoms, and he goes, "Okay, this is not good." And then he said, oh, "Hold, hold on there. I'll put you through to a maritime doctor." So, like you know, five minutes later, we got the phone call, and maritime doctor and I gave him the symptoms. At that stage, I just had in my head, "Okay, maybe what they'll say to me is, you know, come back in six hours with the readings, mm. maybe twelve hours, and then twenty-four hours, or something like that." Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, mm. But after I gave him the readings, gave him my history, uh, they kind of go, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I was like well, this is not a decision I can make. Mm. And after I said that to him, the doctors went, you're gone. Like, not even 30 seconds. Mm. You're gone, you're finished. Mm. It was just that flat, done. that straight, yeah. you're done. So you, you obviously tried to get find out if there's a boat nearby and yeah. eventually you get this massive cargo ship that comes yeah. in and lifts you away and you go off to New York and yeah. you get you go into hospital at that point and they run all the tests, I presume. And yeah, no, so that's, so we didn't, I actually didn't go into hospital in right, New York because okay. number one, um, because my spinal injury, uh, health insurance doesn't cover a lot. Okay. I think the travel insurance doesn't cover a lot because I've a lot of pre-existing conditions. So, no more, there's very little point in me having health insurance travel, no matter mm. what, because the laws put it down as pre, uh, yeah, you know, conditions. Yeah. yeah, and also the expedition wasn't insurable. Okay, so I had no insurance. And that was obviously going through my mind as well in um, going back in the boat and said, oh, my God, I'm going to go into the hospital here now and um, it's going to co- I'm going to have a 20 or 30,000 euro of a bill coming out of it. And, you know, so that was going through my mind. I was in contact with Paul Cleary, a good friend of myself and Damos, who was in New York. And all fairness, now there's people back in Ireland working away as well to see what they could do. So it was actually Paul who organized a, a really good doctor. So I went to the doctor straight away when he picked me up. And uh, they took tests and things like that. And I just said to them, like, look, at all I want to know is, am I safe to fly home? Mm. When I get home, I'll get, it, everything's get everything yeah. sorted. Yeah. You know, uh, so yeah. people give out about the health service in Ireland. But for me, I've never had anything but the highest of praise from it. Mm. Um, and the, the, uh, the oxygen had righted itself at some point. And uh, no, I was still struggling, really, really right. struggling with the oxygen. So I think, so they gave me oxygen in the boat. Um, because it was a it was a brand new it was only eighteen months old this cargo oh, right. this um tanker which again I was so lucky because I heard some very bad stories about some old tankers yeah. um so uh, I got oxygen levels and they got me up to I think it was ninety two percent um and they got up really high once they had the oxygen mask on me but once it took off and then once I was without it for a while. I dropped down again. So, and again, there was no medical experts on board. So all they were doing was taking readings Mm -hmm. and things like that and giving me whatever to keep me fresh. So um, when I got there, uh, like, this is what I don't understand. Like, Damien's after coming off 112 days in the ocean and he's functioning like nothing happened. (laughs) For four to five weeks, I was struggling 
massively. Now, um, my, my blood oxygen levels is around 96, 97% now. Right. It should be 98, 99. So still, I'm still not fully there, but I can train, I can do all that type of stuff. But for a period of time, when I got off the boat, I just wasn't able to do anything uh, um, that took a physical uh, demand on me. Right. When you talk about dimming there, it's almost like robot comes to mind. Like it, it, those last number of days, and people who've listened to the Deep Roots podcast and stuff will have got a sense of this anyway, but was there tension on the boat? Was it was it causing any disruption between the two of you? The fact that, it, that you know Damien was, uh, I guess, feeling feeling okay and feeling grand yeah. in comparison, but did that cause any kind of tensions on on the boat itself? No, that's the, that's the surprising thing. Like, I, I, like um, prior to me doing the departure, um, so the first few days was a massive learning curve because we never got to do the, you know, we sh- we we should have tried to have gone out for like a week over the continental shelf over Ireland to you know get a good uh, learning experience of what it was like to be on a little boat on your own out there but well unfortunately we didn't get that opportunity mm. um, so for the first week um, when we're really pushing hard and trying to get the kilometres uh, the nautical miles underneath the belt um, I was doing all of my learning as well so I found that first week Difficult, very difficult, because uh, the amount of times I banged my head off the side of the boat was just mm. crazy, um, and the amount of times I burnt my hands from just you know the the jet boil and trying to put it into the sachets mm. for for the food. But um, as that week passed, then I was getting more comfortable, mm. and he, I think even Damien said, like I said, he could see that I was actually beginning to mm. settle into a routine and everything like that, and. Like up to that last two days, I, I probably had my best day just beforehand. I was feeling great. Mm. I was feeling brilliant. I was going, okay, I'm beginning now to get into the swing of things. And then got into the Gulf Stream, and that's when things start again a little bit easier. Now, there's nothing easy, by the way, mm. but a little bit easier. And that's when I started failing. Mm. So that's, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of gut-wrenching because that there's that first block is really, really difficult. You know, and you get into the Gulf Stream and then you get that little bit of assistance bring you up towards Ireland and you're you're going from one to two knots per hour to the next minute four, five, six knots per hour. And that's when I start failing and that's yeah. that's but there was no no there was no tension as such. I think Damien was was quite quite good to me that way, you know. There's a there's a serious mental aspect to it as well and, and like uh, there's the famous photographs of, of just leaving Manhattan with the with the night yeah. skyline in the background, which is just insane when you think yeah. of the distance that was to go. Did that? Was there any a point maybe when you see the skyline behind you where you're like, Jesus, the, the enormity of the task is laid bare in front of you. Like the next time we touch land, we'll be in Galway. Um, no, I don't let myself think of it that way. Um, I was just there to do it day by day by day. And the funny thing is people often say to me is like, uh, you know, did you ever feel unsafe? And there was not one day I was out in that ocean whereby I felt unsafe on that boat. Right. Uh, and I don't know why, I, but I just never let myself think that way. Do you know, and that was the same with, uh, I just remember having Manhattan and the background and my thought was, good luck, see you again, mm. you know. It wasn't about, oh, the next time I see land. I, I just, I, I wasn't thinking that way at all. I don't know why. Uh, it just wasn't in my mindset thinking that the next time I see somebody else or land was going to be, you know, 55 days later. I, I just never, I don't know why, I just never thought that way. Mm. Um, what Shane is hinting at there was when we were chatting to Damien last week, he was, he was, and I had listened to a load of the pod um, mm. and over that 
first couple of weeks. And I don't know how aware you were of what he was chatting about on the pod or whatever, if it was, if it was a soundproof situation. But <laughs> it seemed to me like there was a tension between the two of you that, you know, you were, as you've said yourself, like that. And why would you not be your first ever, like you say, your first ever um, challenge of that nature? And maybe, you know, um, I don't know, struggling, but certainly coming to grips with it mm. mentally as much as anything else. Yeah. Whereas he was like, I want to get miles, I want to get miles, I want to get miles. Yeah. And you're like, maybe you're in a slightly different space and that in itself is creating a bit of tension. That was certainly the way he would maybe describe it when he was with us. Um, well, personally, I thought I was actually um, really pulling out the stops in terms of the amount of mileage I was yeah. getting in. So I, I didn't, again, I knew setting off that the first few weeks was always going to be a kind of a challenge because we're getting set into your routine and mm. we're both in very uh, uncomfortable surroundings and we're getting used to each other as it is, as much as good mates and great mates we are you know the plus we ever slept beside each yeah. other was like uh, two single beds in a big yeah. bedroom you know so there was a lot of learnings to be done there but for me um i i um, maybe on his side, maybe he, he thought I was I was lacking, but I know from my side, I knew Damo wouldn't be lacking, you know, so I didn't have to have that mindset. But maybe, but also I knew I was giving my all. Yeah. So I was very comfortable where I was and I knew Damien, as his nature, would be giving his all as well. Mm. So for me, um, I didn't have that sense of uh, as tension or anything like mm. that. And may, maybe, I, I think he preluded to it, that he had that tension on me, mm. um, but I didn't definitely didn't have, have it another way because look, he's he's done it. I knew he'd be doing it, and I knew I was given absolutely every bit I could give. Yeah. The other thing he mentioned was um, the he had when you got off, uh, he felt his anger. He yeah. said for like he basically said until he got into Galway Bay that he had this yeah. residual anger, which I guess on one level is. Um, like I put it to him, it's a big, that's a big emotion to have towards yeah. somebody. And on one level, I mean, I guess it's understandable. You, I know you sat down to do, a, you were doing an interview for the documentary, whatever. Mm. And you sat, do you, do you sit down? Because it's definitely obvious, right, chatting to you here this morning, that the two of you, you're clearly best mates, but you're on two different paths in terms of uh, some of the experiences, which again is like, I mean, we any three people you put in a room, two people you put in a room, you have a conversation, you leave. Sometimes people leave with totally different perceptions of it. Yeah. But have you got a chance to sit down away from the limelight and sort of pick through stuff? Or is that, is your relationship just, that's you don't need that. You're just good, good friends and you, that's not required almost. Okay, so just uh, you're on about different paths and things like that so my 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 path was um it's not a chosen path it was a path that was uh ordained by my accident okay yes so, yeah um i'm going through this through default really um whereas say damien's is a chosen path and he's very driven and very focused and what he wants to achieve and so on whereas obviously i was kind of thrown into it and then i obviously discovered that i really like challenge and so on mm. so obviously our mindsets are a little bit different you know um and we we understand that um so in relation to um uh how to say um like so we haven't sat down himself and himself mm. over a cup of coffee, over a pint mm. and had a chat about all these things yet because mm. number one is Damien's absolute flat out yeah. with all the engagements and everything yeah. like that. But it's funny now you said that because this morning, because uh, he was coming up to, he has something in the mansion house this mm. morning and we came up in two different cars. So I rang him around half seven and said, 
are you up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, he, 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 yeah, because we were obviously at that function together last night. Yeah. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I'm just in leak slip now. And I said, oh, you're okay. The traffic's fine. And at that stage, I said, look, at, well, we had a chat about other things. And then I said, look, at Damo, when you're finished, I'm in Dublin. I'm flying out this evening, so I'm hanging around. Mm. When you're finished, he's going to Donegal. Mm. I said, we'll grab a coffee. Yeah. I was the first time we'll be able to sit down away from everybody, not down in Gaul where people yeah. were going into Damo. Like, you know, people come from, like there'll be 100 metres away and they see them and they'll make a beeline for him. It's hard to miss. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, so the first time we'll have yeah, a chat. No, we'll go into uh, a deep, meaningful conversation. Probably not. Yeah. But just the first time we'll actually sit down and say, you know, well done or yeah. whatever we need to say, yeah. you know. But no, we haven't. We haven't. Ah, you will. You'll get the chance to do it. Exactly. It's just not the time. It's, it's funny when I think about like Damien's story and, and even the, the way the last night panned out, you're thinking, right, for whatever about the documentary, there's a movie in this, you know. And <laughs> uh, But but more to that, there's there's like your story is, is a massive part of it. And like people, yeah. a lot of people wouldn't have realised mm. backstory and what happened to you as well. And mm. um, like when you talk about, you know, maybe you, you could have picked a, a smaller challenge, not smaller challenge, but a different challenge to, to start as your first one yeah. do you have like an idea of where you go from here what, what's next um, I've thought about it several times um, now look at I said I have three young kids um, I, 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 I'm busy enough with work um, and I do want to do something um, and I want to do it more in the severe of raising money and awareness um, than anything else but what I want to do I still don't know because nothing has kind of grasped me and say, that's what I want to do. Mm. But for me, the next project I want to do, so if I can say at the time I, I walked across the country a year after my operation or my accident, um, that was my project and I was able to do it from start to finish mm. and I loved it because I, I, I'm, I'm a self-employed person. I've always been somebody who just grabs things and goes with it and, you know, controls them start to finish. Whereas this project, Project Power, I was complete opposite. Mm. And you I were the co-pilot. Yeah, and yeah. I struggled with that at times. Mm. Um, so the next project I want to do is, and I will do something, but I said, I, nothing's grasped me yet. Mm. Um, but uh, I'll be doing it, um, you know, that will be, I, I'll take, ownership of yeah. it myself and that I, I can look back at it with 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 a lot of pride and yeah. and obviously something that I can complete. <laughs> yeah. Well look at I, I think on that front I think you can absolutely look back on I think Shane nailed it earlier on when he said given your journey mm. and like it wasn't how you would have designed it obviously to mm. set out but you I mean two weeks mm. wrong in the Atlantic is a serious achievement. So I mean you should take that from it and yeah. um and be sure that whatever you're up to the next time will you give us a shout and come in and we'll um, we'll pick through it with you again. Fair play, look. Best luck with the coffee as well a demo yeah thanks very much if a black eye after well, we might end up with a black eye on that one but thanks a million Fergus no, cheers thanks, thanks a lot for coming thanks in loads of lovely comments okay. coming in as well um, to say well done so that is almost it from it uh, from us for this morning it's uh, 9.38 on this Friday morning OTBM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave magnificent Mo and you can sign up or donate now at Movember.com we're back on Monday morning it'll be Jaron Nathan and his incredible Gillette Labs performance rankings that you've all grown so accustomed to we're going to have Quinny reflecting on the weekend you are seeing that big one at the Aviva reaction to all the football uh, latest on the new Villa manager whoever that might be Ronaldo and plenty more as well besides OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave magnificent mode.